animals out there? Are you ready? Well, you better buckle up because it's time for the show, ladies and gentlemen. Straight out of your sister's bedroom. It's your girlfriend's favorite podcast. Without further ado, it's the Wing Scoops Podcast with your host, Wade Needham. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Ring Scoops podcast right here on ringscoops.com. I'm your host, the webmaster, Wade Needham. In other circles, people know me as Godfather Scoops. And tonight on the on the podcast here, we have a special guest. Just like we've been doing all year long here in 2023, we're going to keep that train going, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's guest, this is a man that has had one of the most unique uplifting, powerful, and inspirational journeys that I've seen in quite some time. I've had the pleasure to call quite a few of his matches during his days as a tag team specialist and as a single star here in Southern California professional wrestling. I've also had the privilege to have joined him up high in the heavens among imposters, but today there's nothing sus about him. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you my friend, RJ, what's up, RJ? Oh, what's up, dude? What's up? I, thank you for the intro. That was amazing. God, Inspir- it's all true though. <laughs> Inspiration. I, I, we'll go into all that, of course. But uh, thank you, man. I'm I'm happy to be here. You know, I was telling I was telling you, Wade. Uh, this should just be called like the Retirement Bros uh, <laughs> podcast because a lot of not everyone. I know that we have like Tommy makes it. Tommy makes a great comeback, but I, I was just like. A lot of us have like got, kind of like gone out of the business, and now we have all these other lives, but we're still so influenced by the business at the same time. It's amazing stuff, man. So happy to be here. Thank you so much, man. No, you're right though. Like you can never really truly leave the business. There's always going to be something around that's going to hook you back in. Every time, like uh, I know I've already got we already got plans to go to Mania this year, and uh, I'm just like, oh, God, I want to work again. <laughs> catching that bug huh dude it it was bad man uh i i had to have my my uh, really close friends that uh they they kind of keep me on the straight and narrow when it comes to ideas mm-hmm. they stupid ideas that come through my head and uh i got we went and saw um socal crazy's uh cancer benefit show earlier last year mm-hmm. and um got to see a lot of the boys got to see gats and tommy uh mikey o'shea so many of the boys uh west coast uh boys and um it was a very refreshing to stand in a wrestling ring again and then i also like hit the ropes and i was like oh <laughs> i was like i want to do it <laughs> do it again and I, i'm driving back and uh i'm talking with ben thomas and i'm like i gotta get out of here and like i called a couple of people i'm like i'm heading back down to san diego and they're like uh like you doing good i was like i want to wrestle and they're like well you can't but okay <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it was it was such a fun time though. Um that's good. It's good to hear, man. Um so you mentioned SoCal Crazy. Um like how's how's he how's he doing? Dude, the last I saw him, he was doing really good. Uh he, he I don't want to go into specifics because that's kind of his stuff, but he uh 
he he was doing he was in great spirits, uh, very lovable. He, he looked like he started working out. He started getting ready to start working out again, put a little bit more muscle back on him and get get him a little bit thicker. And uh, things seemed, from my perspective, things are going in the right direction. And man, it was just so. I uh, there are boys that you miss, and uh, when you're not in the business anymore, right? And it it's just like I I wish I could like still get to go hang out with like. Chris Cadillac or Jeremy Yeager, who was my tag team partner, uh, Lalo, who was our uh, old ring announcer, and my my, my brother Liger, uh, of course, um, all, all the boys that I wish I uh, we could just like always hang out with and be with. The funny thing is that like Nestor <laughs> lives in San Diego, and I haven't got to hang out with him once. And freaking Tommy Wilson lives right by where I work, <laughs> and I'm just like, bro, we need to go do lunch one day. By the way. <laughs> By the way, I need to throw this out there right now. Tommy Wilson, I will take that hall pass. I'm going to call it out right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, the week, bro. Twice on Sunday? Twice on Sunday, bro. (laughs) (laughs) The love fest continues. We'll have to get the both of you guys on at the same time in the podcast. And uh, dude, oh man, yeah, I, I had to listen to it because a bunch of people were hitting me up. They're like, "Tom, Tommy loves you, man," and I was like, "I fucking love that dude." And um, yeah, what what a what a great time! His story is so remarkable, man, and, and it's just it gives me so much drive to want to just get back into what I'm doing. Right, like he he's inspired me to start like getting back disciplined, working out, and just like staying focused on staying healthy. So it's been a wonderful journey for him. I'm so happy for him. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, Tommy is definitely a <clears throat> huge inspiration for everything that he's overcome in the last you know few years, physically and mentally and spiritually as well. It's definitely a changed and, man. And sexually, just in case you guys don't know. And he, yeah. he can lay it down. Wade, you know more than anyone. That's why you're in a wheelchair. But he can- well, well. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's funny before we hit record, we, we were kind of shooting the shit a little bit. And I told you I had a story to tell you about uh, Mondo Vega. And this will be a great segue because with you saying me being in the chair. Yeah. Uh, back in Perfect. 2015, when Stardom came out and they were doing shows in Covina and Baldwin Park. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that or not. Of course. Okay. Yeah. You know, Jesse, you know, facilitated all, you know, the, the buildings and whatnot. Um, I was hanging out in, in Covina with, uh, with, with Bart from AWS mm-hmm. and with Mondo Vega and um, Chelsea diamond came over and started talking mm-hmm. to us and Mondo was, you know, he was trying to throw some game at her and, <laughs> you know, so was Bart. They were playing it cool. And I'm just like, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, you know, my golden rule, don't speak unless spoken to. So I'm just sitting there listening and kind of giggling. And Mondo was like, you know, it's been a while since he took some bookings at that time. Yeah. And he's looking around the, you know, Knights of Columbus. And he's like, man, it's been such a long time since I've been here. I haven't worked in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chelsea Diamond asked, well, what happened? Why haven't you worked? And he was about to answer and I cut him off. And I say, yeah, Mondo hasn't been invited back to work show since he put me in the wheelchair. And Mondo grabbed his face like like Randy Jackson in American Idol, man. Just covered his face and walked away. <laughs> and Bart turned around and started laughing. And and Chelsea's like, oh my God, what happened? And she came over and gave me a big old hug and everything. <laughs> oh man, I love it when you do a good cock block, bro. 
That's always good. Just get in there and just shut it down from the boys that are trying to get some. Yeah. And then it was great because I got a selfie with her like right afterwards. I like just just send that to Mondo like once or twice a year. Be like, I told her you put me in a wheelchair. Put that in a Christmas card every year. With a yeah, a Christmas card every year, and you can design it differently. Different, put like snowflakes over certain. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have the selfie with uh, Chelsea and I on the, the Christmas card every year. Yeah, it's it's always good to hear when you like throw some ribs around because you know after listening to Tommy's uh, podcast and and knowing what Jaeger and I used to do to you guys at the commentary table and what we would do to Lalo, and it, it's nice to to hear when you get a good ribbon. Mm-hmm. And that's always refreshing for me because. Uh, for a lot of you guys that don't know, uh, when Jaeger and I used to wrestle either each other or in tag matches, we always had a goal, and that was to do a suicide dive onto the table, the commentary side. This way we could run into the table and push the table into Wade as hard as possible. And it was very brutal, and it was a lot of fun, and we laughed while we were trying to show and sell that we were hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my that was always one of our like go-to ribs on you guys uh and god what i just remember hearing you guys grunting every time we ran the table into you <laughs> oh that was that was that was definitely all sinister man because yeah. Yes, yeah he hated that kind of stuff sinister, <laughs> sinister and sinister on commentary was either oh the table going to <laughs> yeah yeah, I you know I got a a good rib on him. I I can't remember if I told it during the Tommy interview or not, but um, where yeah you know, I was uh yeah I was doing other things other than the commentary, and yeah. you know, I did DVDs, the website, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I had like four or five DVDs for Jesse before a show, and he was gonna pay me for them. And I said, "Don't worry about it. Give me all at once after the show." Yeah, and I knew that he was going to do that right in front of Matt. Right. Cause he yeah, come yeah, around yeah. during the main event, you know, and do the handshake, whatnot. Yeah. And so he goes over to Matt, you know, and handshakes him his, his pay and he comes over to me and he whips his wallet out and he starts like just a bunch of cash. Cause I think it was like a hundred dollars worth of like, you know, work that he did for him. And he hands yeah, it to yeah, me yeah. and I look over and Sinister's eyes are just like bugging out, bro. And after the show, like when the bell rang in that main event, Matt was immediately giving me the Iggy, like, take it home, bro. Like, usually we can do like two minutes, you know, and he's just yeah, yeah, yeah. like, dude. So we'd do that. And he gets up and this is the fastest I've ever seen a walk, like since he was working and he goes into the back and you can hear his, his bass in his voice. Yeah. Like, and, and Jesse comes out of the curtain and Jesse's laughing and Jesse goes, brother, you got my, you got my buddy all riled up over here, you know? And, and I'm like, well, I, don't, I didn't do nothing, Jesse. You know, and Matt comes over and, and Matt's like, I don't understand why he's getting paid a lot more than me, you know? And Jesse was like, well, brother, he had DVDs. He runs the website. You know, he's my guy, brother, you know? And, and Jake is standing over there. Jake looks over. He starts laughing. It's hard to pop Jake too, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah and he well, starts. For you guys to pop Jake. Yeah. I pop Jake any day. Yeah. Right. Um, man, I popped Jake my first night in. I rolled over his foot going through the curtain. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I got that was the one and the only time I ever ribbed Matt Sinister and actually oh, got him. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah I'm I miss that dude. What what a what a good heart that you'd had to um Yeah. <laughs> that it, it, I I when I got into when I got into pro wrestling, like, it was one of those things that was just like I learned pretty quick 
there's no money to be made on the Indian yeah. really, unless like you can work it up. Uh, and uh, there's like a very select few that were able to do that and kind of figure out that process. I unfortunately didn't, but um, I learned to just like, don't ask what other people are making <laughs> really quick. Oh, like, we're, we're probably all not making shit, but that's okay. Like we're, we're here to have fun. And so I just never did, but I, it's funny to see, like, we're here to have fun. And then when you see someone get handed a hundred dollars, you're like, wait, 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 wait. I'm doing the same thing he's doing. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, right. yeah. And then there's, you know, of course there's other stories about guys, you know, knocking on people's doors at three in the morning, wanting the 30 bucks too. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it was crazy. Like, the first time we got stiff pay was was a wild uh, was a wild one. Like we we got asked to do a show over in Indio, and uh, I remember like we drove all the way out there and we did the show. It was a, it was like a few thousand people or something like that. I just remember walking out and the place was packed. Wow! At the same time, it's Indio and they have nothing else going on that weekend. <laughs> yeah, right. Go check out this show, right? Yeah, and it's like most easily out first, there. Yeah, it's like my first time being in front of like a huge crowd. I'm just like. Oh, let's go have some fun. And I remember hyper extending my elbow in that match. Oh, the back Liger's taking care of me. Like he's like trying to fix my arm and, um, uh, a wrestler's, uh, bang ups. And, uh, I remember we get done with the show and Chavo senior and all these other guys we're, we're all in the back. One of the bushwhackers, we're all just chilling, drinking and whatever. Like, all right, well, let's go get our pay. Let's go get paid. And the guy just, uh, just no showed us with the pay. Like he just, the, the promoter just dipped out and then he left some lackeys to tell us, Oh yeah, no, you guys aren't getting paid. Oh man. Oh, horrible. And then the worst, the worst part about that story is like, we, like we were threatening people. <laughs> uh, we got, we should probably just leave. And then um, about four or five months later, that same promoter tells Jesse, um, go, come do it again. Come do it again. And like, just like, no, you didn't pay us. Right. Like you didn't pay us, whatever. So the guy up front gives us some money, uh, and we were promised like uh, X amount more than we were usually getting paid. Yeah, and the guy goes, "Well, here I'll pay you for the last time," and it only pays us half of what he owed us from last time. And so, as like a, "Hey, come do this," and then he does the exact same thing again. Again, oh wow! So we got fucked over twice in India. It was such a nightmare, and I was like, "Well, I got this much, whatever," but like. I remember at one point, one of the wrestlers, I won't say who, like the guy stayed this time and he was like, I don't have your money. I already sent it off. Right. And he was the promoter. And we're like, well, where the fuck is our money? And like, we had him in the office and we were like, you don't understand. We're, we'll fuck you up. And one of the boys was like, like started to grab him. And like, everyone's like, no, 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 don't touch him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. <laughs> it's like, uh, but uh, I remember, I remember getting that dude's address and like, I won't say from who, but someone found that dude's address, and I think some people went and did some stupid shit. Oh uh, wow! Which at the time was in the heat of the moment, and uh, I, I don't think it was like it wasn't bodily harm, but I think that I like, fucking TP'd his house or something. Just, like, Find his hat collection and take a shit. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. It wasn't any. It wasn't anything bodily harm. Go ahead, and clear the error of that right there. But it was definitely like they probably like fucked up his house in some way, like. Spray oh. <laughs> Probably spray painted a dog or a cat or something. something like Holy that. shit. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that you worked with Randy Orton before. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I had the RKO as a finisher, of course. Right, there you go. Yeah. I yeah. that guy. 
Uh, oh, by the way, I didn't know if you know this or not, but I'm putting on a show next month in Indio, and I would like to book you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll be there. Just if you can find that same promoter, he owes me like two hundred dollars. Well, alrighty. Hopefully, you know, I'm, you know, come out of retirement for that, bud. <laughs> I think his name was uh, Jorge Bush. Uh, Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, um, let's let's dive into um your. The beginnings in pro wrestling. Obviously, you were a fan growing up, right? Yeah, of course. Um, pro wrestling was like my first love. Uh, I so I, I get to share this a lot now when I talk about like recovery and stuff. When I, people ask me about like what my story is, but um, uh, and I get to say this a lot to like the wrestling community, right? Like the boys that are listening, or to anyone else, like I. I got into pro wrestling when I was three years old, right? I have a memory of my grandfather who uh, who passed away when I was three years old. Uh, yeah, when I, while I was three years old. He died of lung cancer. And uh, it, I have two memories of him, and one of them is sitting down watching pro wrestling, and the other is like him walking around on one of those walkers with the tennis balls underneath. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just knew then, I was just like, oh, he loves pro wrestling. And I didn't know what the hell it was at the time. I was just like, there's this memory that's in my mind. And then as I started getting older, my like my parents would take me to live events and I, I saw the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and stuff when I was a kid and uh Macho Man and they would always like paint my face like Ultimate Warriors while and we'd go to shows and uh I just always was like, I'm gonna do something, right? I'm gonna be some kind of performer one way or the other. And so getting a little bit older. And also, I should also note, I sucked at fucking sports. <laughs> I sucked at <laughs> baseball was my second love, right? I love I love baseball. Uh, I'm a huge Padres fan. And it's funny because I used to be a huge Yankees fan, which that's where Tommy and I differed. Tommy is a huge Red Sox fan uh, as well, but we're both big Padre fans, and that's where we meet. Um and uh I liked hearing that when he's just like, you can have two teams. If you like two teams, you can like two teams. And I was like, yeah, I do. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I sucked at baseball though. I couldn't hit a ball to save my life because I got hit in the head when I was a kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then another pitcher broke my ankle uh, <laughs> with, a, with a wild pitch. And so I was terrified to go into the batter's box. So obviously I sucked at baseball. Uh, and then I got into performing arts and I got into, um, theater as a kid and I really liked it. And I really loved performing in front of people. Um, once I got to high school that translated into, or that transformed into, uh, improv comedy improv, like whose line is it anyway? Like thinking on the fly, having some stand up material, stand up comedy material done. And then once I, but wrestling was still there. Wrestling was there since I was a kid used to get in trouble for, doing pro wrestling matches in people's front yard. We weren't backyard wrestlers. We were front yard wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. And um, we would like call out these matches and have some fun. And then we had to stop because these two brothers at the end of my street, they were having a uh, uh, no DQ match in their front yard. It ended up on the roof of their house. Oh, no. I think we were like eight or nine. And one brother completely undertakered. uh his brother, which was Mick Foley, and threw him off the side of the house. Oh. <laughs> the brother that fell cracked his head on a brick planter and fractured his skull. Oh my God. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I heard about that, like a day later, and my family was like, no more wrestling. My immediate thought was, did anyone get that on camera? Because I want to see it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, my, my next thought was, where do we go from here? Like, we're going to throw, like, you guys are already throwing each other off the roof. And so then we found a mailbox to hit each other with. And we found tables that we couldn't break through because we weren't heavy enough. Uh, well, you already had the mindset of a worker, right? After a spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, how do we I, top this? Was, yeah, yeah. Since I was a kid, it was like, yeah, bro, let's work. Let's let's do some big fighting. Let's have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then um, uh, high school, I got like I said, I got into improv and comedy. And then as soon as high school ended, I had options. I was like, well, let me go. I'm gonna start college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Right? I was just like theater degree. And then everyone was like, don't get a theater degree. It's just a piece of paper. You're not gonna get shit from it. And I'm like, okay. And then everyone just said, well, go to get to work on what your dreams are. And I'm like, all right. Well, I want to be a pro wrestler still like that's still been there and i was like that's theater in the round for me and so i jumped in and i i, I grew up going to um this collectible show called frankenstein's and uh, uh for all of you aws fans you know what it is uh but uh frankenstein's i would my dad had a booth at frankenstein's when i was growing up and i grew up with bart like bart was my go-to guy for all my lucha masks i wanted here's a fun story I bought a Lucha mask sa- signed by Hellhammer. I think that was his Lucha name. By yeah. name. And I didn't know who the fuck it was, but there was an autograph and I had 50 bucks. So I went and bought this autograph. <laughs> and it's a great story that I ended up telling Jake. And Jake was like, that's his old gimmick. I was like, he's like, some kid bought that. And he was like talking about it for days. And that was you. And I was like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I-, I bought Bart's Lucha mask because I thought it looked awesome. And it was, uh, and I ended up, uh, I think, it, I think it's somewhere, but, uh, yeah. So I grew up with Bart and, uh, he always knew me cause we were on the, my dad's booth was on the same aisle. My dad would sell Disney pins. I would actually help the guy across from me sell Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Disney pins. So the guy would pay me under the table as a 12 year old, 60 bucks a week. <laughs> That's good money. Hell yeah. Go buy DVDs over at Bart's and I would go buy a Lucha mask <laughs> or multiple Lucha masks. Uh, <laughs> But I, and then uh, at, at the collectible show. And so when I actually started turning 17 and 18, I went to Bart and I was like, hey, like, because he started having shows there at, at Frankenstein's. And I was like, well, I want to check this out. And I went to a couple shows. Uh, and then I said, well, how, hey, how, how can I get into this? And he goes, uh, there's a place over in San Bernardino called the School of Hard Knocks. You're going to talk to Jesse Hernandez and uh, I'm going to get you the info, right? And so um this is before like internet was really on our phones like as much as it is today yeah. i was like figure out how to sign up and uh yeah this is back when the school of hard knocks was in that office building over on east street in san bernardino um i was the last generation to go through there and um what a different environment that was it was so scary walking into my first wrestling oh i went to my first ewf show uh, when I was 18, like looking at wrestling, uh, wrestling schools, I was like, cool, I'm going to start here, but they have a show coming up next week. So let me go check it out. And it was, uh, God, I forgot who, who Gatson was fighting against, but it was T, it was TNT, which is Gatson and his old tag team partner. I don't remember his name. Um, and Gatson got power bombed from the ring outside through the table. Ooh. I was like, Jesus Christ. 
that looks like so much fun. I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I remember walking in and uh, uh, I remember Ryan Taylor was there, uh, Mr. Uh, Tyler Rust. And uh, who else? Ryan Taylor. I think Chris, I think Cadillac started with me the same night. Jaeger was there. Um, Dan Kobrick. Um, and yeah, and and uh, one other guy, I don't remember his name right now. It's going to bug me, but I'll figure it out. And um, I just remember going, oh shit, like I walked in all these, all these like bigger than me sweaty men outside of Cadillac. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, fuck, uh, this is intimidating. And I go talk to Jesse and sign some paperwork and I walk back out and everyone comes up and shakes my hand. I'm like, uh, hi, hey, how's it going? And then I proceed to, to do the hardest night of my pro wrestling career, which was the first night of training. Um, and that the second, I, I always let, I was actually talking to someone that just started training at Santino's that I worked with at Disneyland. And they're like, well, what's it like the first night of training? I go, just take it easy, have fun. You'll know from the very first time you take a bump, whether or not you're going to do it more. I was like, you're not going to need a single moment after that to know whether or not you're going to want to do this. And it was true, man. It, it rang true to me. Um, we started with the with the, the sit-up bumps. And we worked down to a knee bump, and then we did the full standing bump. And uh, they go, put your feet here. Your shoulders need to go where your feet are, and you need to kick your legs up. And I just remember taking that first bump, and I was like, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was game over, man. I was hooked. Uh, it, it hooks me, hook, line, and seeker. And then I got uh, pummeled by Ryan Taylor's kicks uh, for two hours. And that was uh, eye-opening at the same time. <laughs> well, what year was this? This was uh, 07, 08. Yeah. I just got my uh, taxes done. Uh, that's where I got my money for wrestling school. And uh, I was like, I'm putting this towards wrestling. But I was also going to college, too. So I was doing wrestling college and i was also doing a full-time job wow uh, i was i just started to discover in college that i wanted to become a sign language interpreter because i really like sign language and uh so i was trying to gun for that too and uh, it was just gonna take a little bit longer because i was only doing like really part-time school while i was doing wrestling wow what a what a what a beginnings um yeah yeah wow um Interesting times back then. Uh, the wrestling business, you know, it, it evolves. Obviously, everything evolves. But, you know, uh, like when I was having a, a conversation with Ben about, you know, different generations and whatnot, like even people from like, you know, 15, 20 years ago was a different breed oh, of yeah. pro wrestler than what we got today. And then, you know, 20 years prior to that as well. Um, what are some of the n- extremely noticeable changes that you have personally seen from like your first day in to now yeah man i mean well now i'm retired so lots but uh so i can't tell you how the training is now um i hope it's better i do uh when i got in we had like the nice that jesse trained us was fun uh and then we had another guy who his dad trained us and he was dad was a lucha and his dad was very old school like his dad would beat the shit out of us and like throw us and kick us as hard as he could. He's like, you gotta make it look real. And he he would get so upset if we weren't doing something right. And we would do drill after drill after drill. And it was just like the hazing was still a thing. Like you gotta you gotta you gotta be hazed uh, to to make it through. And um, 
And yeah, and so that was one of the things like I I started to learn how to love a good rib. Don't get me wrong. I love good ribs. I love ribs on rookies. It's a big difference than, hey, we're gonna haze the shit out of this person and just treat them like shit. Like, no, it's like, hey man, we have a we have a rib, we're having some fun, paying your dues a little bit, and we're gonna laugh along the way, but you know that I got your back no matter what. And I think that's kind of where it started to turn where I really liked it is that we started to get away from that old school mentality of like beat the shit out of each other um, because you guys don't have a name yet instead of let's take care of this next generation and let's try and support them while we're also trying to better ourselves. Um, And that's the one thing Jesse kind of instilled in us a long, uh, a long time ago, which was just like, you get what you give and then you also need to give back. Right. And that, that holds true to me even to this day. Like that's how I treat people today because of that early life lesson which is like i i have something to give in this field i have something to do and then i'm also making a name for myself and i'm also having fun but i also need to give back so i can make the next guy look good so he can in turn make someone else look good and then we all start rising to the top right and when i started uh my rookie year um it was just it was pretty cutthroat in a sense like there was a lot of us that were rookies and we were like going back and forth with uh, all these guys who had been there longer. And they were just like, this is how it's done. Do it right. Don't fuck up and go out there and do your job. Right. And so then we were like, well, can we have some fun along the way? And they're like, no fun. You're trying to get to WWE. You're trying to get to TNA. And we're like, yeah, but I just want to have some fun too. And they're like, no fun. Work out. Go do this. Jesus. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I, I think that was one of the things that's been lost uh that was lost at that time i think it's been rekindled and refound because we look at like where like i i'm in san diego and where um where b-boy school level up pro wrestling um where socal pro is um i mean ob had some wrestling there for a second it was different but uh it it, it, it had some of my favorite people there with Terex and brandon gatson and so like it's it's wrestling starting to be a thing again which is fun and i'm not in it but that's okay because i i am so i so love being a part of being a fan right now because i'm just like i'm watching my friends that went through the trenches with me like succeed and i'm like yes sweet and then i see like some of the guys that i helped train um and worked with and seeing them doing good shit and i'm just like cool like I hope that I left an impact on people to sit there and go, cool, let's give this to the next group of people. And don't get me wrong. We had nights where we beat the shit out of each other um, because we, we were frustrated with some, some of us. And, but we took it out on, each, on, on the people we could trust to like go hard. Like I, I knew I could trust Jaeger to lay in some, our Chris Cadillac. I knew uh, Caddy and Jaeger could, and Liger could always lay into me because they knew I was going to lay into them too. And we would have some fun. And that was where training really got, okay, we can make this hurt a little bit and it'll still look good. and It'll still be powerful. Yeah. There was several times where like when I first started coming around and I'd be there at training and there'd be the nights that, you know, you would be leading class. And I definitely picked up a different vibe from when you were leading class compared to like, let's say Johnny star. And it's not a knock on Johnny star at all. He, everybody has their own different ways of doing things. But there was definitely a a different structure and a different style and approach from you that I saw from a lot of other people. 
And then going back real quick to like what you were talking about, like a difference between, you know, a good rib and hazing somebody. Um, I want to take this time real quick to thank you for like when I started coming around, there was a small handful of guys that were very cold shoulder to me. Uh, guys that, you know, and, and rightfully so I was an outsider coming in, especially being an internet guy coming in. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you, on the other hand, like you kept your distance, but you were still very nice and you were still very respectful and uh, you were, you know, getting a feel for if I was going to stick around or not. And I, I understood that, but I, I really appreciate, you know, the, the patience that you had for me. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that's, it was, it's one of the funny part about pro wrestling is that right now there are 40 guys and 40 girls and 40 non-binaries. Everyone is going in training right now and probably only five of them are going to stick around. Right. And so that, that just kind of like, I learned that pretty quickly on is that like people don't stick around too long and they'll come train for a little bit. They'll realize it's not for them. So they got their 12 lessons out of the way at the school of hard knocks. And they're like, all right, I'm done. And I'm like, okay, you know, Hey, well, you should still come to shows. It'd still be fun, right? It'd still be a good time. But uh, uh, most people would just come in, do a little money money deal real quick, and then dip out. Or we we would always see all these like promises uh, from other feds and other promotions. Like we were going to do a, sh- a show at the Orange Show, and then it gets canceled last second, and it's just like, okay, no worries. And not just can't not just a single at the Orange Show, but like and there was a lot of places that were like we'll do this and we'll give you guys this. And then, then they would never come through. And so we used, we were pretty accustomed to like, okay, they're probably not going to be around for a minute. Right. But yeah. when, when you see the boys that just keep coming back to the shows, you're like, I got to get to know him a little bit better. I would like to get to know him a little bit better. And, and that's why I, and I'm always, uh, I've always been a nice person <laughs> and begrudgingly, uh, even when I wasn't, um, uh, I don't know about that. You can talk to my my nephew John, and he might have a different view about that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am such a nice person, but I hate being a babyface, and I because I, I just couldn't adapt to it. Right? Like I just, I just I don't like getting out there and trying to get people to cheer me on. Like yeah, I, at the time that was because I had a lot of inner stuff going on when it came to like self loathing, and I just never. There was, there was stuff going on mentally where I just never thought I was adequate enough. And so, of course, I wasn't going to try and be something that I didn't think I could be. So it was like, oh, if I play a heel, then I can be a piece of shit. <laughs> and I play that pretty well. And then it's, as soon as I come back from the curtain, then I'll be back to being my nice, happy self. I think it was like a way for me to like vent every now and then through art yeah, and, and, and get people to hate me. And oh my God, your nephew. So... <laughs> Your nephew uh, is is redheaded, uh, yeah. as we call in the community. I am also I have red in my beard, uh, and uh, my mom is is a ginger, and uh, your nephew's a ginger, and uh, I am part ginger. But when I was wrestling, I didn't have a beard, and I didn't have this luscious thing on my face. Uh, I so I could always pick on a ginger because I was like, I'm one, I could pick on you, but you don't know that I'm one of you. <laughs> and i remember going to shows you're like my nephew's here i was like yes and i just remember him powering behind and you're gonna have to post this again because i know when this podcast comes out you're gonna need to post this to go along with it yeah so people have visual proof um <laughs> your nephew hiding behind 
your wheelchair while you were just uh, in attendance that night and me yelling at him from the top rope, I'm going to get you, Ginger. <laughs> you can't run from me. I will find you and I will hurt you. That is my favorite thing that I've ever done in pro wrestling. Really? <laughs> wow. And hands down, being a heel and then making someone afraid of, uh, like, a, a kid. Because it, it, you're believing in the magic, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how many flips and how many uh, uh, freaking jumping jacks and cartwheels and high spots that you do for a for a moment of time, there is a little kid that believed without a shadow of a doubt I was going to hurt him. <laughs> Wrestling is real, man. <laughs> and it's funny because like that whole thing between you and my nephew started out. There was one of the EWF shows in Riverside. And you were you and Jaeger were coming out, and my nephew jumped up, got in your face, and goes, "You suck!" And you said, "You look like Carrot Top." And yeah. that was it. It was off to the races after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me uh, a couple times you're like, "My nephew's here." I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna mess with him." Yeah, mess with him so bad. <laughs> uh, it was so funny. I'm I, glad we got video footage of that too. Yes, please put that back up. So we we were talking about like really good ribs, right? Yeah, and I think the best rib that, that's ever been done in all of pro wrestling um, was actually my debut show, right? Um, so I, 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 that was actually my second show. Um, so I debuted as seven. Oh, by the way, my wrestling name is RJ Ruiz or Roger Reese. I was the overnight celebrity or the OC assassin or the OC uh, before the OC was a thing. And, um, uh, I debuted as seven, as RJ seven, because I really liked seven, right? I loved Goldust jumping ship to WCW and they're like, he's going to be seven. And I was like, that's a badass name. And I was like, I, my favorite number is seven. And I was just like, he's going to use his name. And then Goldust goes, uh, um, Dustin Rhodes goes out there and just completely shits on the name <laughs> the character. And I was like, the only thing I thought when I was 11 or 12 was, Oh, cool. He's not using that name anymore. Now I can use it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember getting to my first show and Cincinnati Red and Jesse were getting ready to, to do my debut match uh, against Rockstar Cordova. And I had to debut after Icarus Eagle. Now, those of you that don't. Oh, know, man. Icarus Eagle was one of the best jobbers in all of Southern California. The greatest jobber of all time. This guy's debut match, they hype him up for two minutes as he walks to the ring and the announcers are going fucking wild. That's Icarus Eagle. He's He's going to soar over everybody and he's going to be the greatest thing ever. And standing across from him is Terex. And as Icarus Eagle comes off the top rope and stands in the middle of the ring, Terex does a double choke suplex to him, splashes him, (laughs) and it makes the referee, Justin Morton, count to five. And then he makes him count to five again. And then Scorpio Sky comes out and makes the save. And Icarus Eagle flying and then getting annihilated in 10 seconds is the greatest SoCal match uh, in, in the early 2000s, in the late 2000s. And then I had to debut after him. Oh, man. As seven. And it was right after, it was it was a popcorn match. And uh, it was right after intermission. And uh, I just remember going out there. 
I fucking ate shit on a dive. I didn't dive. I caught the dude. But the dude ate shit, and we almost hit the stairs, and it was just tile. And I remember going, fuck, that sucked. But Cordova took really good care of me And uh, after that. And, uh, yeah. But there is the reason I'm telling you, like, he's being a heel, uh, going into that. And then, and then I changed my name from seven to, uh, the overnight celebrity, Roger Ruiz, but it's pronounced Reese. And Jesse made, gave me Reese because he said, I really want you to whitewash, uh, your last name. And I want you to be like, cause you're, you're, you're half Caucasian. He's like, let's really like play up that you're trying to avoid being part of your, uh, your Mexican heritage. And I was like, okay. And wow. again, Nate, it was a little bit of a different time, cancel culture, culture as it was it is today type stuff. But it was just like really be like a snobby, like I'm better than other people in my in my culture. And I was like, I can do that. And so then they changed my name to the overnight celebrity, Roger Reese. And lead, leads right into the greatest rib in all of uh, pro wrestling, which was um, we found out that one of our friends, Lalo, um, was terrified of clowns. <laughs> and now... Now, for you guys, I didn't know, as ni- at 19 years old, uh, I didn't know that um, phobias were a real thing, that people can uh, pass out, scream, be terrified, uh, run away, freak out over like things like a latex balloon, or the color yellow, or tomatoes, or clowns, <laughs> to be specific. And... <laughs> And uh, there is a video, and so we go. All right, well, we're gonna do the interview. RJ, you're gonna um, do the interview with Lalo. You're gonna talk about how you're gonna make an impact in the company, and then you're gonna hit Lalo in the head with a chair. And I was like, can do. Uh, like, let's start off hot. And uh, they go, we're gonna film it in this little locker room. Um, and I, I remember them going, we need you at the end of the locker room because we're gonna have Liger in a clown suit, and. He's going to come in and scare him while Lalo's looking at you. We're like, cool, that's fine. It'll be a good scare. He'll be he'll be terrified. All's good. Uh, and then we'll go to the interview from there. But it'll, it'll be funny to watch him like go and scream a little bit. Well, we start the interview, and, and Red starts the camera, and Lalo's looking directly at me. As Liger comes in in the clown outfit, Lalo tur- turns around and sees the clown, and then... This is only a one-way-in, one-way-out little hallway of a locker room. Like It's just a little hallway. The other side is just a a wall. And Lalo tried to escape through that wall. (laughs) (laughs) And he hit it so hard, he passed out. Wow. There's now a hole in the wall from where he tried to go through, and he's also fainted like a fainting goat. And (laughs) You're crying, laughing. You can hear Mondo in the video going, did he pass out? I'm like, yeah, he went through the wall too. And then I have to leave because I'm like, holy shit. I was like, I am dying. Um, that's also on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, you look up Lalo Gonzalez is afraid of clowns. It's a great video. Uh, we'll accompany that with the, you know, the interview here as well. Oh yeah. And, and the interview went really well because that, then we had to pick him up. And, and uh, uh, we had to do our interview, but then we got him later. So once we figured out that he was so afraid of clowns that he could pass out at any time, um, we, we would just do everything we could to, to scare him. 
Uh, we had Tarek's in a Slipknot mask. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, during another interview. But not- and, and for those listening, describe Tarek's real quick so they get a visual. Tarek's is a 450-pound man that can do a standing backflip. <laughs> definitely exaggerated his weight, but he's a monster, and uh, I know he wouldn't mind that. Uh, but he is a behemoth of a human being, and he is the biggest fucking teddy bear ever. But he's a former attorney for Handsome Johnny Starr and Max Martin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was before my time, but yes, he was. Yeah. When I when I met Terex, he was uh, the manager for Dan Coburg. And uh, wow, what a combo, dude! Terex is one of the sweetest motherfuckers ever. I love that dude to death, and I miss seeing him. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's just, but he's also like, when you put him in front of a crowd, he is one of the scariest people, and you're like, please don't hurt me. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, it was funny. We I've had good laughs at Terex as well. Um, but yeah, man, the rib, ribbing was my was one of my favorite parts of pro wrestling. It was just like let's find something to just laugh about. I mean, we're we got it. It's so crazy. Like when we would go do certain shows, and you're like, nah, this this show is really important. Like you need to be out there and give it your all, and and really like give us something to work with. And I'm like, yeah, but there's like. 50 people out there like let's just have some fun right and um i had to start to learn when i was younger how to really pick and choose when to do that and uh, i actually really didn't learn until i got older um even like into my 30s now and i just started to like okay let's really not take this as lightly as possible on every situation but um yeah ribs were my favorite thing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, ribs, uh, they definitely, it, they, I mean, they can be brutal at times, but they can also help make time go by a lot quicker as well. Um, Going back to, like, when you first got, gotten into, like, training and whatnot, um, did you want to be a singles competitor, or did you have plans to be a tag team? Like, when, what's the origins of the A-list? So, fun story. Uh So, uh, that, that that's actually really great, because the, the origins of the A-list – the reason why Jeremy Yeager, top shelf Jeremy Yeager and the overnight celebrity Roger Reese paired well together was we were asked one time to team up at a show. And um, training was good. I always planned on being a singles competitor. I never planned on being a tag team specialist. Uh, and I, I could care two, two shits about tag team because that's what I was ingrained with. Like, you got to be, you got to be the band. You got to be the best. You got to be the top dog. And I didn't know that. I was like, oh, yeah, but we're the tag team champs. Can be the fucking, we can be the best. And um, training with Jaeger, uh, working with so Fidel Bravo, Jeremy Jaeger, and um, Chris Cadillac, we and DK Murphy and Acre Siegel, we were the ones that were at the school every week, like two, three times a week. And not a lot of other people were joining us there. Like we would show up on on um, Fourth of July on other holidays that you know you most people get the night off from um outside of christmas and thanksgiving like we we would show up and train and have fun and i think that's kind of where we started like really click um the the four five six of us that we like we knew that if we were going to be in the ring together we'd have fun and we can lay it in and we can uh laugh and uh, while we're doing it and uh jaeger uh and i we were just going against who, who did we go against? I think we're going against the Aussies, uh, Shane Hayson and uh, probably Mikey Nichols or someone, something like that, right? And um, 
or we're going against uh, DK and somebody. And um, I remember that Coconut Joe got our measurements for some reason. And then Coconut Joe bought Jaeger and myself matching gear. That black gear that we used to wear, right? So that black and green gear that we used to wear, Coconut Joe actually bought that for us. And uh, I don't don't think I've ever formally thanked him enough. But if you are listening, Kogo, uh, appreciate and love you. Uh, Because that was the origin. It was just like, he walked up to us. He goes, I think these fit you. And he's like, I got your guys' measurements. Um, This says Jaeger on the ass. And this one says uh, the OC, uh, uh, Roger, or Ruiz. And I was like, okay. And Jaeger and I were really playing up the bromance uh, when we were on camera. Um, and we're like, well, now we have matching gear. So now we're actually a tag team. And then Red goes, uh, Cincinnati Red goes, um, you guys are serious about this. And both of us were like, I mean, no, but yeah, like, let's give it a shot, right? What, what's it hurt to lose to, if it gets me on the show, like, let's do it. And we just gelled, man. We just gelled right out the gate, and Jaeger, uh, with one of the most creative minds that I ever met, he is a technical wizard. Uh, I knew that when we would go into certain matches, I was like, "I'm gonna pair you with Jaeger because you're really good on <laughs> the technicality thing." Like when we when we went up against KOS, it was always gonna be Jaeger versus Taylor because they could go toe to toe with the technical prowess, and then Mondo Vega and myself would go toe to toe with the entertainment and just just the brawlingness of things, right? So we weren't trying to go hold for hold. We were just like, let's kick some shit. Let's kick each other. Let's hit each other. Let's throw each other around. And uh, whereas Jaeger could like go tell a good story in there. Jaeger, Fidel, Ryan Taylor, uh, they could go tell a good story in there 20 minutes on the mat and and not even hit the ropes once. And I'm just like, I was always taken away by that. So that's where we started. And then uh, as we started to build up in the tag, the tag division, I remember I was, I was in San Diego. I was actually visiting San Diego for the week on vacation with my family. And Cincinnati Red calls me and he's like, Hey, uh, can you guys, can you, can you drive up to Covina this weekend? I was like, I'm on vacation right now. He's like, well, I could, I could use you up here. Um, so, uh, we're going to put the titles on you and Jaeger. And I was like, what? I was like, the young bucks have the titles right now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but they're going off to Japan. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I mean, I'll be there. And that was the, I think that was the second or third time I got to work with the Bucks. And it was just, not to name drop, sorry, apologies. But, like, that was, like, one of my, like, first, like, aha moments. Like, getting to work with these this team that, as you can see, has just become the greatest team that's ever uh, worked uh, in pro wrestling as of today. Outside of FTR and, and some other amazing uh, tag teams. Like, um, getting to work with the young version, uh, the early version of the Young Bucks before they went to Japan was one of the most eye-opening things um, just by how they, they did matches and how they worked together and how they could tell a story. And I was just like, that was fun. I want to I learn more about how to do that stuff. And so Jaeger and I were given the ball and uh, uh, we got to work with them, got to take the titles. And um, it, it was such a refreshing, like it kind of inspired me to just want to be better at tag team wrestling. And then I just started t- studying and studying tag team films and just like, all right, let me watch these guys. Let me watch these guys. Let's see if I can find something here. And uh, I think I think my favorite signature move outside of our finisher uh, was um, we would tuck a guy's legs. So we'd take a guy, sit him down in the, in the bottom corner, and then we'd take his legs and put them underneath the bottom rope. So it's like he's kind of like in the uh, – uh, his ass is just in the air as his like his – 
feet are curled up by his ears. And we would go distract the referee. And as the referee was turned, we'd drop kick the guy in the ass. And that's, <laughs> an, old Jesse, that's an old Jesse uh, Hernandez uh, training move that he would tell us about. He's like, all right, brother, no, train, brother, 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 all right, no, you do, brother. You're going to take that cocksucker, you're going to put him under, under the bottom rope, and you're going to go drop kick him in the ass. <laughs> and I were just like, stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Let's do it. <laughs> and it, it, we would just come up with shit and, 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 just try and, and make something different and new in every one of our matches that told the story. What and, was the name of that move, by the way? Uh, I, I want to say it was probably just the, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember what we called that move. Probably was the guy, you have your ass in the air, ready for us to kick it. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those moments where I know where it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I, could, I remembered what it was, but I can't remember right now, and it's going to bug me for the rest of the <laughs> night now. I know it. Yeah, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't. I don't even remember the the finish. The name of our finisher, Jesus. Um, I remember it was an RKO with a flatliner at the same time. Yeah, and, and you used to call that the TMZ, right? I called my RKO the TMZ. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I think our I think we called it the jackpot. Was it the jackpot when we did the the same move at the same time? I think oh. that was Jaeger's move. Was the jackpot? Jaeger's move was the jackpot, and then uh, I don't remember what we called our finisher. I'm gonna have to go back and watch the old tapes. Yes, please do. <laughs> My memory isn't what it used to be, uh, but uh, I, I I definitely would like to know that. <laughs> uh, you guys, you and Jaeger, man, you guys were such a, a highlight to watch in the ring. Like when I first started coming around and seeing you guys work, I'll never forget uh, one of the uh, Elks Lodges in uh, Riverside. And I was sitting there front row there in a the corner and, you know, you guys were taking on, I think it was the Barroom Saints. And, uh, your guys' corner was right there where I was sitting and you were standing there, you know, holding on to the tag rope. And all of a sudden you look down at me and I'm, I'm watching what's going on in the ring. And all of a sudden you real loud and it got real silent. You yelled out, you go, Hey, stop looking at my ass. <laughs> so dude, like I remember, um, I think it was Carl Anderson and Joey Ryan, um, that were the tag team champions before like the Bucks. Uh, but, uh, I, I remember the, um, Carl Anderson um, was just such a funny guy in the ring. And like, he really helped me like learn how to, uh, to be comical and like talk shit and, and have fun as a heel. The best part about being heel is having fun and talking shit. And the, 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 the way you perfect it is you get really good at it. You don't just like let someone clap back at you without clapping at them. You know, like yeah. you make sure you have the final say without getting it into like a fisticuff thing, right? So I always like to provoke people or like if a kid came up to me uh and was like, You suck, you you piece of shit, I would always blame the parents for the kids' bad language. I was like, this is your fault. This <laughs> sucks. All right. Your kid sucks. You suck. You have bad parents. And like you always find a way to like outthink the person that's using a generic you suck, right? You you gotta try and like Go go above and like get really creative with with the shit talk, and it's fun that way. And I also learned not to single people out because <laughs> I remember calling a guy fat one time, and I got and I know I got backstage and Johnny Star was like, "Hey, you call everyone fat, not just one person." I was like, "Oh," he's like, "Cause you're really you don't want to single someone out and make them feel like shit." And I was like, "Oh," he's like, "You make them all feel like shit." Yeah. I was like, 
uh, also <laughs> equal so, opportunity. <laughs> yeah, you throw out the equal opportunity stuff. But one of the one of the best things, and it was actually one of the most challenging things, and I definitely br- will can bring up the uh, the uh, the LGBT aspect of the, all of this, which is like Jaeger and I had a serious on-screen bromance. We talked about sharing beds together. We talked about wearing each other's tights. We talked about we. It was very early. A list was very Billy and Chuck, and it was so much fun being that. I was just like that was just a while. Like one of our one of the dumbest moves, and I I would hope that so many people do things like this. Um, still, I don't know if you can get away with it today, but. Um, when you get eliminated from the battle royal or the royal rumble or the rumble or whatever, um, if your tag team partner goes over the top rope, have them like on their back with their leg, like, like with their legs open or whatever, and when you get eliminated, your your head goes right into their crotch and you just like they're passed out, right? We would pop so much audience on that side of the ring because they were just like, look at them, he's in his crotch, he's in his crotch. Or um, my favorite one was when uh, we went against the Aussies and we had our tights on, but we knew that both of the Aussies were going to do a sunset flip on us. And um, when they did the sunset flip, we would hold on to each other and then they would pull down our tights and we were wearing matching Tinkerbell underwear. And that kind of shit was fun to me. (laughs) Like getting the crowd to pop over something stupid. (laughs) It's uh yeah you you guys you guys did some some good stuff man back in the day like when I was first getting in you know like it was fun times with uh not only the antics that you guys had but like you know like Mighty Mike Mountain you know and a lot of other guys out there you know Liger was always doing some good stuff out there as well and this is very memorable very very memorable um what what is uh talking about tag team work and you said you wanted to be you know singles when you first came in and whatnot you've worked both you've had yeah. great success as both um from a worker's standpoint like what's the biggest difference between working singles and working tag team oh cardio easy <laughs> it came down to cardio man if i i knew i knew that i could do get more of a, a i was lifting a lot and i was doing a lot of interval training um, when I was younger, but I never had that like really dominant physique. Um, but I definitely like, I could go for a good 20 minute. Ma- I looked forward to doing a 20 minute match every now and then. And like, I was like, Oh, let me build for this. If it was 20 minutes of a tag team match, even better. Cause I'm only doing 10 minutes of work, but I really like, I think my first 20 minute uh, headliner was against like Gatson when I went for the title and um, it ended up being a kibosh there at the end. Cause we, did a, uh, an angle where I did an Eddie Guerrero move. I won the match, but Gatson didn't lose the title, but that's not how I, I should, I should want to win the title. Right. But it was a 20 minute, just, and against Gatson. Oh my God. That man has uh, adrenaline for days. Uh, he exudes adrenaline and like, he just <laughs> he oozes, I believe is the word that I've, that we've joked around with in the past. And, uh, he, he's just a beast to go against and, and to work with. And it's a lot of fun, but you got to be, you have to be on your game when you go into the ring, when someone that you know is just an, at a different caliber. And I knew that anytime I stepped in the ring with guys like Gatson, Ryan Taylor, uh, uh, found, uh, countless others that I can't even think of, Tyshawn Prince, 
um, working with these guys that are just like, oh, they, they're they're next level guys, right? And you're just like, I want to get there. I want to be on their level. And then you realize I, I can be. And then I'm like, that's cool. I can do this. I can hang with these guys. And you have some fun with it, right? Or Tommy Wilson. Tommy can go, man. I remember going and I had like a good 20-minute match with him. Uh, and and it just ends with a, a fucking amazing like powerbomb. And it's just tons of fun. And uh, actually, I think I ended with a super kick, but um, it's just a ton of fun. And then you go back to the back, and some nights, depending on my uh, situation at the time, uh, some nights were easier than others. I know that as uh, my life got a little bit more in the progression side of things, and I started to do some stupid shit in my life, um, coming backstage was a lot harder because I was out of out of breath, and I was I was messing my lungs up, and I was also messing up my internal system by fucking around with shit I should have been doing but um it was it was uh I like the tag team you can also tell a way different story with it tag team wrestling honestly was the best thing I had um just learning how the dynamic and telling a story everyone knows a good a good single story which is like good guy goes up bad guy takes over they may be a trade back and forth, back and forth. There's a couple of hope spots. There's a, there's some heat. And then you start going into hope more false hope. And then you go home. Like this, the, it's a pretty cookie cutter story, uh, generic like storyline that you can tell in there. And obviously that breaks down differently for move for move and everything like that. But like, then you take that and you go, okay, now tag team wrestling, you want to try and cut the ring off in half. And you want to try and keep this opponent over here. Cause why would you leave them in a neutral corner when you need them on your side? Um, try and pin on this side of the ring because you don't want it to be so easy for the enemy to uh, the uh, uh, yeah the enemy team to get in and like and hit you. But um, it, it, then you tell a story with you got four seconds to get out of the ring, do a double team move. You gotta make that look cool. Uh, don't make it stupid like a double hip toss into nothing. Like make it look fun. Uh, you can do uh, suplex towers off the ropes. You can do lots of dude. I started doing more dives. I started doing my flip dive because I was in a tag team match. Like I wouldn't have done that. I don't do, uh, I never did like flipping out of the ring uh, or I would do house dives on a a singles match. And if I knew that I had people that were going to catch me, I was like, cool, I'm going to do a flip dive in a tag team match. Cause I knew there would be, there'd be people there. I'll try to do something off the top rope to the outside and try and get a little bit more creative with it. But I was like, I need to be safe at the same time. Fair enough. And, you know, that's, yeah, like you mentioned, the psychology is a lot different. Um, tag match, uh, like you said, you know, the time in the ring split in half, you know, you, you got time to kind of recuperate a little bit around the outside, making the quick tags as well when you're in control. You know, there's a lot of, there's, there's an art to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely an art to it. And I, I think, um, especially in today's age and professional wrestling, you know, tag team work, whether it be, you know, two on two or three on three, it's very underrated. It's underappreciated, um, especially, you know, everything, it's trickle down economics. You know, it starts with WWE. They don't take their tag team division as serious as they should. Um, you know, AEW come up and they, yeah, they got a great deep tag team division. They've showcased it very well. It's just unfortunate that WWE doesn't do the same thing at the moment. Yeah, dude, WWE were like, there was a couple moments there that were like, I think it was maybe the XT, uh, NXT tag division, um, which was really hot. 
Uh, Triple H really wanted that tag division to do good. And obviously our, our Aussie friends were there. Shane Haste and Mikey Nichols were doing really good shit. And like watching that tag team division really grow. And I was like, cool, this is FTR was there. The, Revo- uh, the revolution revival revival. Thank you. So, so stupid. Uh, <laughs> Bible. Uh, like, like there was great tag team wrestling going on. And for a moment there, it looked like it was going to, it was going to get brought up to the main roster and then it just didn't happen, right? It kind of tuckered out, and I was just like, oh, that's a bummer. That's yeah, because yeah, I remember, like, some of the great matchups that they had with, like, the Revival on American Alpha and um, even um, Big Cass and Enzo. Great tag team together, you know? Yeah, and, and a fun story to tell and go out and talk some shit and have some fun and make people laugh and then make people like you. And, yeah. then, and then it just kind of like, all right, they made it to the main roster, man. It doesn't work the same way up there. It's just like, what a bummer (laughs) yeah very very unfortunate there um later in your career um you know you became very open with your lifestyle um with being a openly gay wrestler Mm -hmm. at the time especially like 2013 ish 2014 ish you know it's very uncharted territory in the industry um did you face like any negativity about it from other workers uh was there anybody that had your back on it? Any obstacles that you faced? Like, what was what was the experience? Yeah, so, I mean, 2013, 2014 was way, that that was way after I came out. I came out in 09 to them. Like, I, so, um, I, I actually came out when I was 17 to my family. Mm-hmm. And, like, they kind of knew, they kind of didn't, because I'm very, if you talk to me and we talk and have a regular conversation, you don't know that I'm gay. Until I say something that's pretty gay, you're like, nah, that's pretty gay. <laughs> that's pretty fucking gay. And then you'll know that I'm 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 a I'm a gay man. And um when I was 19, I so I, I knew that I was gonna go into pro wrestling in the world of sparkly tights and muscly men. And it was oh, I don't get to talk about that this that much, and I really like this. Um it was such a different, like, I, I told myself I need to go back in the closet. And I'd already worked with so many of the boys. Um, uh, we had we had a little backstage faction that not a lot of people knew about that we called the commission. And it was Lalo, Jaeger, Liger, Cadillac, and myself. And um, it was us. It was us against the world at EWF and with Red and, and Jesse and... I just knew like we, we would go out drinking or we'd go out partying. We'd go out having fun after shows or on the weekends. And I would never bring any girls around. And, but I'd always talk about this person that I'm dating, but I would never say pronouns, which in today's day and age is a huge indicator for how you have a conversation and the LGBT community. And uh, so I think the boys picked up on it a lot. And I remember one night, uh, I, I remember I told Caddy first and uh, he goes, you should, you should tell the boys. And he goes, you should tell the boys cause they're not going to give a fuck. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. And, and it was, it, we just got done with the Covina show and I had Jaeger who, by the way, I'm doing all of this on camera bro bromance stuff with. And I'm like, how do I tell him? And then also like, how do like, am I willing to accept that I might have to have a further conversation with him telling him 
I don't have any interest in you. This has always just been an on-screen persona that's a completely separate than what I feel for you backstage, which is you're my brother, right? And Jaeger was the one I was actually really terrified about because we're doing, like I said, we're doing all this fucking bromance stuff. And then Liger was the next one because I was just like, well, I, I just don't know. Like These are the guys I've been riding the road with for the last year, but I just don't know. And so Caddy goes, just tell him. And so I ended up telling Jaeger and he goes, yeah, man, I knew all along. I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, you you don't use her pronouns when you're talking about the girl you're dating. You just say you're dating a person. And I'm like, and then you use they, them when you're talking about them. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I tell Liger and he goes, yeah, you're fine. He's like, I love you. You're my brother. Right. And, and, and it, it, Liger was soon, Liger still is one of my closest friends. And, um, we talk about that all the time. He's like, remember when you were afraid to tell us you were gay? And it was like the easiest conversation to have. But I also do want to shine a light. Like I got beat up in high school. I got attacked um, by some fucking very homophobic pieces of shit. And um, I was terrified. I was just like, well, I don't know if the land of glitz and glamour pro wrestling with the spandex and uh, sweaty men are going to accept me. Um once once I got through that opening phase, like the boys got my back and the boys had my back. The boys didn't give a fuck uh, about my sexuality. Um, they they loved me for me. And they were like, we're, we're going to go out there. We're going to have some fun and, and we're going to tell a story. That's it. And that's where it needs to be. And luckily, I, I have never I. On the flip side of that, being in the gay community now and the gay community, then it was always. I really didn't like, it was always a conversation starter for people, which is like, Hey, you know, my name's RJ. I'm, I'm a pro wrestler. It always gets my foot in the door with people. Um, it was also something that I never took. Like when, when gay men find out that you're in, that you, that I was doing pro wrestling, they were like, so did, did you ever, did you ever get excited in the ring? And I'm like, nah, man, it's, it's not like that. And like, I'm, I'm living my dream. I'm not trying to fuck my coworkers. Yeah. You're there doing a job. Yeah, yeah, right. And it was just so I, I, I've always kind of felt like I just wasn't enough in both communities. Because I was like, well, I'm not a straight pro wrestler. But then I was like, oh, the boys love me, and so that was like my first indicator. Like these are my boys. These are the guys that I'm gonna ride and and die with if I need to, because they got my back. Well, the gay community, they they were like, oh, are you just trying to fuck all, all these other? And like, no, man, I'm trying to fucking go be the next name that the next person that's in Japan. I'm trying to go wrestle and make a living doing this. Like this is my childhood dream. I'm not trying to put my dick in things that are not in my category. Right. Yeah. And it, and if it honestly, it was though for like guys like Devon, uh, uh, Devon Willis, Devon Warrant, uh, I think is his shoot name. Um, but like he was uh, openly gay before me and I was really happy being one of the like, the, uh, the one of the other ones that was coming out and like this is who i am backstage on camera i'm just rj i'm roger reese like the, my sexuality has nothing to do with who i am yeah we we tried as the later years 2013 2014 started to come around we wanted to play with that a little bit more though right and so the boys knew it and and the fans like some of the fans knew it too because i we had some guys that are that are pretty close to us that we like we went to WrestleMania with outside of the ring that were fans. And they're like, oh, I'm gonna be up there too. You wanna like meet up? Like, sure. 
made some really good friends that way. And, uh, uh, and they, they've still been friends to this day, people that I still talk to. And, um, they, they were like, yeah, man, you're gay. We, we know that's fine. Like, and I was like, that's who RJ is. Roger Reese is, is this character is a badass. He's like, fucks people up and gets fucked up and, and outside of the ring, you're RJ. And that was just one of the cool things that I, I like to separate. But, um, as we started rolling into 2014, yeah, that was supposed to be, that was going to be like my breakout year. Um, and there was a lot of factors that went against me that year. And one of them was, uh, this will tie into future topic. One of them was substance abuse. But, um, the other one was that I wasn't the only, I wasn't the only gay boy in town anymore. And, um, being, being in, in EWF, um, we wanted to do an angle where I came out, my character came out of the closet, but I wasn't going to become like, uh, for those of you that know, there was a character called Cotton Candy, which was just over the top, like drag queen, Lucha Libre wrestler. Yeah. She was just super flamboyant, super gay, or the hardcore homo on um, XPW, or, um, and, and all these people that like had these really flamboyant, I didn't want to represent that because that wasn't me. I wanted to be me and go be a badass being with a rainbow on, on or with a rainbow flag on my sleeve, right? Like, that's who I am. I'm going to go keep being a badass. And so I remember Gary Yap walked up to me one day and he's like, I have this great storyline. It's going to be you versus the man in black. You're going to go for the heavyweight title. Um, we're going to really start driving up the fact that we're going to try and blur the lines between reality and fiction. He's like, and we're going to go kind of like your coming out story and how RJ, the real person behind Roger Reese is really living this life. And we're going to expose you and we're going to really drive this. And then you're going to go for the world title. And then you're going to go in and, and like, we're going to have this whole thing. It's going to blow off. And at the time they're like, then you'll go and then you'll lose. But then I was just like, you're just telling me I'm going to lose, whatever. That's fine. Uh, I didn't care about the winning part of it. I was just like, I'm down, man. If that's the story we want to tell, I'm down. And then literally a week later, as Gary Yap is pitching this to Jake and Jesse, um, uh, the, a wrestler named uh, Jake Atlas comes out of the closet and the SoCal scene just goes crazy. And they're like, pro wrestler in SoCal comes out as gay and is the next big thing type thing. And I was just like, well, there goes all my love. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so they, they completely just were like, we're not going to do that storyline anymore because Jake Atlas just came out. And he's he's hot right now, and I was just like, "That's fine, that's okay, I get it." And um, and then I, I I remember I think shortly thereafter I I got another I had another concussion and I was out, and so I was done with wrestling at 2014, uh, 2014 2015 I stopped wrestling, and then I came back in 2017 2018 oh no 2019 I came back, but um, yeah like it was crazy because like my mentor which was Cincinnati Red, um the second that I kind of came out with him, uh, he was like, that's fine. Man. He's like, I'm not going to change your character. I'm not going to change anything. But I, that was, that, that's when I first knew that I had someone that had my back uh, when it came to like upper management of our promotion. And then uh, after red passed away and, um, and when Jake uh, took over EWF, when there was that, when red took off from EWF and went over to AWS, um, uh, I, I still had, I knew that, Bart loved me. I knew that Jake loved me now. Um, and I think Jake gets a, a 
Jake definitely gets a bad rap uh, when it comes to uh, other people's perspectives of him. I personally have only dealt with Jake because he's always been nice to me, so I've never had a reason to hate him or be mad at him. Um, uh, anything, and usually if there is uh, a, 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 an issue that we have ever had, he and I have always talked about it and squashed it. Um, but he does. I don't have. I know he doesn't have that with everybody, and not everyone wants to have that with with him either. Yeah. That's it. But Jake has always had my back, especially when it came to LGBT stuff and um, working with like Johnny Starr um, and having like the Hollywood sisters that work with us. That was a uh, it was big stuff for them to entrust the, the characters to give to them and then have them help us evolve. And then go. It doesn't matter that which what you are outside of the ring, as long as you're not a piece of shit dirtbag, um, you have a spot here, right? And uh, that was always really comforting when it came to Red, Jesse, Jake, Bart, uh, Dave Marquez down in uh, uh, at the time was NWA, and uh, all all the SoCal guys, all the all the promoters on the West Coast that ever took a shot on me, either with a tryout or whatever. It was always really nice to to know that people had my back. That's, 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 that's great, man. That's uh, wonderful that, you know, so many people, especially with positions of power like that, you know, were very open to it. Um, decent human beings, you know, it, I know people are always like using like the phrases like, oh, they're accepting. You know, it's like, that's just, that's human stuff right mm-hmm. there, man, to be accepting. I, I think it should be more in, emphasis on, on the other way around. If somebody's being an asshole about somebody like that, I think that's when you should like really make a big deal out of it. Other than that, it should be an open, normal thing. That's just every day. Like, oh, Hey, how's it going? You're a person. I'm a person. Cool. We're cool with each other kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's that was one of the best things. Like we had, so fun story. Uh, Icarus Eagle, uh, backstage, was a super nerd. Okay, he was he was a super. He used to bring uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer board games, <laughs> and try and get us to play with them. Um, granted, I was also a nerd. Don't get me wrong, I was also a nerd. I brought my Xbox to shows. I'm that I'm that generation that Undertaker makes fun of, and he's like, back in the day, you used to have shots in this, and like, no. We used to bring our Xbox to shows and we used to play video games like fucking adults. Uh, there you go. Because we weren't trying to get in trouble. And, um, uh, but Icarus Eagle, I remember one show we were at Bart's AWS show. The night that Bart had like that epic Royal Rumble with 160 people. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. The Scorpio Sky won that one. Yeah. And we broke the ring. Yeah. And, um, I remember we got backstage and uh, Icarus Eagle was taking some stuff out to his car and um, um, some people started fucking with him. And he he was like, he's, he started talking back. And now I can tell you from experience that Icarus Eagle probably cannot fight in real life. But um, the one I'll, thing I do know. <laughs> I'll back you up on that. Yeah. One thing I do know is that the boys, when the boys have each other's backs, no one's going to get in the way of that. And so a bunch of us found out people were messing with him and we all like went out there to go confront them. And it was just like, I don't know. I was just like, are we throwing hands right now? What do we do? Like, we'll find out when we get there. Let's just go get him. Like get who him. were these people? Were they fans? Or were they other fans. workers or? No, they were just fans, right? They were just people leaving the show that were just talking shit. And, um, and uh, he, uh, he just started talking shit back without any knowledge. Like any, he wasn't using his, his brain to be like, I should probably just let them chirp and go back to backstage. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's yeah, he's had those problems. <laughs> yeah. He's probably just letting them have it back and they probably started but by the time we got there, it was it, it was like, don't fuck with him. He's ours, right? It was it was that pack mentality, that brotherhood that fraternity mentality, which was like, don't fuck with him. He he belongs to us. He's ours. Yeah. So um yeah, it, it, that's that's kind of how it felt being openly gay and like the boys taking care of it. And that's not to say things went smoothly. Like there were moments where I was just like, oh, okay. I might need to hold my own in the ring tonight, or I need might need to, you know, boys boys can be stiff sometimes. And so you just got to give it right back to them. And I, I think there was probably over two or three times I was just like, Jesus Christ, I probably deserve something or I probably fucked up somewhere and I just got a stiff one. But I don't think anyone ever like went out of their way to like try and fuck with me. And if they did, uh, it was usually handled pretty well. That's, that's good to know that there wasn't, you know, guys, assholes in the business. They're taking liberties at you like that. That's, you know, it's good to hear. Um, a little while ago, you mentioned, you know, like when you were in, in high school and you ran into some people and, and you know, that weren't as uh, understanding, you know, um, and I, I know you, you're uh, you're younger than me. Um, I remember back in like it was, it was like 98. I want to say it was I was 15 at the time when this happened. I don't know how old you were, but I was eight or was 10. You know exactly where I'm going with this, right? Maybe. Uh, the Matthew Shepard. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, how, how much did that weigh on your mind at the time? So I, at 10 years old, I didn't know that I was gay. And at 10 years old, when Matthew Shepard died. I did not know um, anything about it. In fact, uh, if I'm being completely honest, um, I didn't start learning about LGBT history until I was 30 years old. 30, yeah, 30 years old. Um, I knew I was gay at the age of 16. Uh, I came out at 17. Um, had some family drama there, but it got, it got taken care of. And then I went back, and then I just went, I just went to work, right? And I was just like, I got to go to school. Got to get a job. Got to go to, got to go to college. And I got to chase this dream of being a pro wrestler. And the wrestling community and the history of pro wrestling just engulfed me. You know, you see, being so young, I didn't care about anything else other than trying to be WWE's next recruit or being TNA's next recruit. And um, I always thought that being gay wouldn't have affected if if it didn't bug people in the locker room. And then like hearing about like Chris Canyon and what he went through and people fucking with him, I was like, well. I I'm, I might have, you guys might just treat me like I have this disease, right? Like I'm, I, I, this is my mind that thought that because I'm gay, now I'm just like this, this parasite. And so that's why I was just like more so like, I need to go back in the closet and then finding out that the boys didn't give a shit um, kind of helps me go, okay, I could just be me. Right. But I still wasn't thinking about gay gay culture, gay community, gay history, or anything. And it wasn't until I moved down to uh, Hillcrest, which is where I reside, which is the gay suburb of San Diego, which at the time I had no idea about. I didn't know Hillcrest was Hillcrest. Um, I knew that there was a gay club in Long Beach that I'd go to every now and then because it was far enough away from the boys because it wasn't in San Bernardino. But every now and then we would go to Oasis up in Upland, which is now closed, and VIP, which is over in Riverside. 
We kind of hit VIP after Monday night because uh, Lalo and I used to go do stand-up comedy every Monday night in our, our, our early 20s, and we would make fun of it. And I think that's where um, uh, uh, Scorpio Sky found out that I was gay, was he went to one of my, co- one of my stand-up routines, and I like openly talked about it on stage. And I was just like, yeah, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm one of the only gay wrestlers in, pro, in Southern California pro wrestling. And Sky like leaned over to Justin Borden. He goes, I didn't know he was gay. And, <laughs> and uh, then we proceeded to go and have a wonderful night uh, next door at uh, VIP. Uh, no, it wasn't VIP. It was Menagerie in Riverside. And uh, it was just a bar. It's just a gay bar. And it wasn't like a, a nightclub or anything like that. And we just had some drinks and shot the shit. And, uh, I, I just remember, again, this is 09, uh, 2010 time, and it was such a different time where, like, we would just go hang out, and it wasn't no big deal, and I never thought about Matthew Shepard, and I knew that they had a plaque for Matthew Shepard outside of Menagerie in the parking lot, I didn't, and that's the first time I think I, I thought about that, and then I, like, dove into it a little bit more, and I was like, oh, oh, people are, people are evil. I thought yeah. that I went through was unique, and I was like the snowflake, and my story was so normal and I was like, no, man, people have been picked on a lot. And, and, and I didn't know the, like the hatred that people had for gay people and the religious based stuff that was uh, used against gay people. I do know that when I was like 22, 23, no, 20, 21 uh, in college, um, we were, they were doing a show, uh, a theater show about Matthew Shepard at my college. And um that's when I first like started to learn about Matthew Shepard and the Westboro Baptist church was coming to picket it. And that was the first time I ever got in one of their faces. Um, and then obviously I did my research on them too. Cause they had like a couple documentaries on them. So yeah. I knew not to touch them, but I talked a lot of shit because I knew they weren't going to touch me either. Cause they worked really well on like, well, if you touch me, I'm going to sue you. And so I just knew I was like, just don't touch him, just talk shit. And um, that's when I learned like, true true hatred for uh gay people and the lgbtq community but yeah it wasn't until later um when i was like 30 i learned about stonewall and um i learned about gay rights and and all this stuff i was always just saw i was always under the assumption that like gay rights was we get to get married right it was just we didn't have we weren't able to get married in churches or something and then i learned later that there was just way more to it than that right and I remember wrestling at Covina when uh, in 08, when like the yes on eight really meant yes on traditional families and you, gay people can't get married. and But no on eight means no to traditional marriages and yes, gay people can get married. It was such a backwards um, uh, prop because it was like you vote yes to vote no on gay marriage, but you vote no to get yes on gay marriage. And I was just like, I was such ass backwards. And um Luckily, all that stuff in 2012 got taken care of. But um, yeah, it wasn't until 2016, 2017, I started to really learn about what gay people went through and what we as a community had to fight for. And uh, that really made me a lot more proud because it like helped me. It gave me a little bit more light. On To me, I look back at my career and I think, oh, I, I hopefully I had an effect on somebody. But I also like really hoped and still hope that I had an effect on someone to be themselves, not to be what society thinks they should be. Right. Like not to make, not to be what the American dream is and this super 
one-sided either left or right view of how the world works right and it's just not how it works we can't be too far right can't be too far left like the the happy median is where i find myself with everything but um it 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 just allowed me to be me and i just hope that somewhere in there i i helped someone else find out who they were through pro wrestling and that helped them to just be them and hopefully that made their career better or more fun or it gave them inspiration or motivation or drive. Absolutely, man. It, you know, that's, and that's, um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out to you to do this interview as well, for you to be able to tell your story, because you just never know who's out there listening, who's out there watching. Like I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, they see me working at shows doing commentary. They didn't think because of their disability, they could do something, but they see me do it. So they want to do it and they achieve that, as well they're they know they're not alone and that was yeah. one of the reasons why i wanted you on the show to talk about that to open up your experiences and whatnot and i know like another part of the incredible journey that you've been on is overcoming like you talked a little bit about it earlier about the um addiction and uh and whatnot as well can you can you, can you elaborate a little bit on that like what was your aha moment that made you want to like you know clean up about that get into recovery struggles uh then struggles now like can you tell us about that yeah of course man um so yeah wrestling was going good for me man wrestling was was the best thing i had it was my greatest tool it's also a pretty big weakness because i would stop showing up to jobs because <laughs> i had an opportunity to go do this or do that or it's like a once in a lifetime I, I remember like i had called out two times for ewf uh, of work um so i could go do uh go to a lucha underground taping right and uh i think it was like the third time uh marty elias calls me and he's like can you be there tomorrow and i was like i can't because i've already called out of work so many times right but uh um uh the the rush of being in front of a crowd has always been the thing that has brought me so much joy being in front of 500, 5,055, 10, however many people that I can be in front of and tell some sort of story. And in pro wrestling, we're telling the story of physical combat and art through that. And there's always a wonderful story to tell. And um, when I was 23, uh, I started to dabble in uh, in some pretty hard substances. I won't go into detail on those, but um, it was affecting me... Uh, mentally and it started to affect my overall game um i was also trying to keep muscle on me um, because i wasn't in a jacked physique but i was pretty pretty solid and then i started to find myself dwindling and getting a lot skinnier because of, uh, of the substances i was using um i remember going to uh do some really horrible things and then trying to show up to a wrestling show two days later and i was still like just my heart was racing and I remember doing like two or three matches like that. And my heart felt like it was going to fall out of my chest. Um, I'm very grateful that it didn't. Um, and things just started, keep, started to get a little bit darker. Like um, at 24, I remember taking a, a bump off of a, I, I, we're doing a doomsday device. Um, and uh, this was for AWS, it was AWS or was, was there Apex? Um, the one that, his dragon ran. Like yeah, that was Apex. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, it was Apex's that we worked. So it was Jaeger and I versus these two Lucha guys. And um, uh, I remember I was on this guy's shoulders and we're doing the Doomsday device. He goes, do you want me to flip you or do you want me to fall back with you? And I was like, fall back with me. I'm not, I'm not, I, I like doing flippy shit going forward. I don't like doing backflips. I hated trying to do a moonsault. I hated trying to do, I, I was okay with taking a clothesline over the top rope because I knew that I could base myself and it'd be fine. But I hated yeah. backwards flippy shit. And so the guy goes, do you want me to fall with you? And I was like, yeah, follow me, please. So um, the guy clotheslines me up the top. The guy that clotheslined me hit the canvas first. So the canvas goes down, springs down, and it springs back up. And I land on the canvas uh, on, a, on a snapback. And my lower back just gave. And I don't know what it was at the time. Um, I went to uh, go see my doctor. Um, at the time, I was seeing uh, doctors regularly um, uh, just to make sure that I was okay. And... Um, excuse me and um uh i just couldn't feel my legs for a little bit after that match and they were like super numb and i could barely walk and then i go to the doctors and and they're like well you're starting to slip a disc and um we need you to stop wrestling or you're gonna be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30 and i was like fuck um i hope like i i just i remember telling the guy i was like well i'm not gonna stop wrestling it's in my blood I'm, i'm never gonna stop wrestling and um uh, he's like, okay, well, I need you to, you need to rehab your back, right? And so I went to guys like Gatson and to Jake and to Jesse, and I was asking them, like, what, what do I do? And um, I discovered um, some yoga. And discovering yoga was one of the best things that I've ever, I've ever done, which was, like, it, it, it's great cardio. It's great for uh, stretching and rehabbing body parts. And um, and I, I started to fall in love with it, and I started to get better. But then the substances, I would still occasionally still go do these these um, drugs and alcohol, and I would go hard in the paint, and then I'd be like, okay, I I can be like Ric Flair. Ric Flair can go out and have 12, 12 drinks today, and then go out and put on a main event match tomorrow, right? And this was ten years ago, and um, I I just remember going, okay, well this isn't getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. My back was rehabbing, which was nice. But then I was just like, okay. But then I started like working at Disneyland. And um, so I, I became a cast member at Disneyland. And uh, and going and trying to do that job. And they tell you right out the gate, like your life belongs to the mouse now. It doesn't, you don't have a life anymore. And I was like, well, I still need to be a pro wrestler. I, that's the one thing I need to be as a pro wrestler. I don't need to be uh, uh a cast member if I don't want to be right so it was like someone telling you don't do this and being rebellious like I was and kind of just lost in what I was doing I just start started going harder in the paint until they fired me and um and they did right like I showed up to work a, a hot mess uh like it just torn up from the floor up and um just on all kinds of things and I remember they took me down to Disney jail and they were like, um, "Look, man, we want to get you some help, but you need you need to you need to um, you know you need you need to help us help you." And I just kind of shut them off, and I was like, "I don't, I'm fine, I'm fine." And so they let me go, and that was like my first aha moment. Like, I may have I may have a problem, I may have a a, a serious problem, right? Because uh, something's going wrong, and it's not getting better, and in fact, it's getting longer and worse. And 
I remember starting to do therapy and counseling at that point, and I was 25, and I just kept going hard in the paint. I just kept going hard in the paint, and wrestling was no longer a part of my life that year. I think I had a whole year off, and uh, because I was rehabbing my back, and I was also trying to figure out what was going on, and I just remember trying to start getting some help, and at the time, my therapist was trying to point me in different directions on how to better myself, and I started to actually adapt and and start to take some suggestions and uh, it was working uh, for a period of time, but it wasn't working all the time. And so I got back into wrestling at 25 and I remember they, they turned, uh, they turned me into a good guy and uh, I never wanted to be a good guy. I always wanted to be a heel because at the same time, my self love and the, the hatred that I had internally was I'm a piece of shit because I do horrible things. And now I'm definitely hooked on these substances and I definitely only think that I'm a bad person. So I don't want to be a baby face. I don't want to be a good guy that people like, love, adore, uh, admire, uh, feel inspired by. I just want to be the piece of shit that I am. And I couldn't separate reality from fiction. Um, and the reality was is that I had a lot of good to give, but I didn't believe it. So there was no way that I could do that. And so there was a lot of matches that I had as a good guy where um, our tag team broke up. Um, Jaeger turned on me in an epic fashion and clotheslined me at the entrance. And uh, the A-list was done after five years, two championship reigns, uh, the tag team of the year award. The A-list is dead. And Roger Reese is now the OC assassin. And I'm coming out and I'm being a badass. Um, but I didn't believe that. I believed that I was just a horrible person backstage. And I definitely started to lose touch with who I was. And um, it was 2015-ish, I think, uh, right around Thanksgiving. I got into a really bad car accident with my ex-boyfriend uh, and um, we got hit by an SUV that was going uh, 60 miles per hour. And we were at a dead stop. And uh, I don't know how I'm alive, but I know that like, um, I just had like a match two weeks before um, and against Brute Beretta and we had this killer match against each other and um, it was one of those things where I needed to separate I needed to take some time off and the car accident actually came at the right moment in the right time uh, to where I could go I need to stop doing this pro wrestling thing because it's hurting me and then I'm, I'm going to end up hurting somebody else um, because I'm going to drop someone on their head or I'm going to paralyze someone um, hurt somebody and that's the last thing i wanted to do was to hurt my brothers um and so i needed to take a break and for me that was probably the hardest thing i ever had to do was say i can't be a pro wrestler anymore and uh and i stepped away and the substance abuse stuff didn't stop it just got worse and I finally got into recovery at 2017. Uh, 2017, tw- yeah, 2017, I got into recovery. And um, I changed my life. I got better. Um, until it didn't, right? Until it didn't work. And I found myself, I moved down to San Diego uh, through a program that I was working with. And, um, and I just kept going. And... Then my life just kind of spiraled and just kept getting worse and worse. And my life 
made a lot of turns and uh, there was a lot of hope, a lot of hope spots in my life. But then um, 2019, I started to find like some clarity and some, uh, some healing. And I was invited back to do a EWF show uh, in 2019, the anniversary show. And uh, I said, fuck it, let's give it a shot. And I, I just remember getting to the show. I was surprising my friends, my family, because I didn't tell them I was going to wrestle. But I told everyone you should be at the show. And so my family went and I told them. So what I told my family was I was actually giving Rico Constantino his Hall of Fame award. And I brought, I snuck all my gear backstage and I told everyone I have my tuxedo in my bag. And uh, I ended up going out and doing match in the Goliath Royal Rumble, the Goliath Rumble. And I just remember that same adrenaline that I got while I was using substances, while I was in front of all these, all these people was the same feeling that I had coming back in 2019. And the second that I left that show, I, I, I messed some things up. And then Jake asked me to come back again. And Jake's always had my back. Jake's Jake has always been one of my biggest supporters and one of my biggest influences in pro wrestling. He's kind of always tried to guide me the right way. And uh, with character building and character development, and I can never thank him enough for that. And for me, I just couldn't separate again, couldn't separate reality from fiction, which was you're a pro wrestler, you're a superstar, you're on top of the world, you're this make believe superhero to these kids, to these fans, and or you're a super villain that these people hate. And I just couldn't separate that. And I ended up going back and doing some stupid stuff and. Then I went back and did another show, but I was I was doing better. And then the second I left that show, I, I messed up again. And then I came back one more time and I wrestled again. And then I did it again. And I, in 2019, I went, I can't separate this anymore. And I just kept having injuries and I kept rattling my brain because the thing with doing substances and then throwing your body at the ground is that you're dehydrating your brain. And then you're throwing your body at the ground, your brain's wobbling around up top. And then, you know, sooner or later you, you have these injuries that you can't come back from. And we have stories like, um, unfortunately, like Chris Benoit, who had all this gray matter and he has this traumatic brain injury stuff that he can't separate anything anymore. And he does something so horrible and so unforgivable. And I just didn't want to be like that. And so in 2019, I hung up my boots and I said, I got to, I got to figure out how to take care of myself. And, uh, it wasn't, wasn't an easy journey at all. Um, I've been very lucky, very, very grateful and very lucky that in 2021, I finally started to see what it was all about on the other side. Right. And it was one of those things, um, where I, I got to work on working on myself. And that's where a lot of the breakthroughs and a lot of the stuff that I've experienced over the past two years have just been breathtakingly beautiful. Um, and that's, that's kind of why it always just holds true to the wrestling business for me is that like wrestling was always a give and take. And it was always one of the things that like you need to give back to the next person. And what I've discovered while working uh, in recovery 
is that I can give back to the next people that are coming in. And uh, I've been so grateful to work with so many people um, down here in San Diego on helping better their lives and also continuing to build my life back up. Um, that it's just been breathtaking. It's just been breathtaking, but it was, it was hell, man. It was, it was pure hell. Um, what I put myself through, what I put my family through, um, what people didn't see um, because I was too busy pushing them away, chasing this fictional dream that was never going to happen because I couldn't take care of myself first. And so um, that was, that's my biggest takeaway from where I'm at today versus where I was at when I was wrestling and um, kind of the hope that I, I always like to give to people and like, like let people know, like, doesn't matter how far down the trenches you've gone, like there is a way out and there's people here to help you get through that. And my goal now, the people that I get to work with every day now is very similar to when I was training people, which was like, I hope I left, I hope I'm leaving an impact on people to where they want to better their lives, where they can look at themselves and they can um, work on some things and make these amends and make, make their life right. So they're not in that same mentality that I had, which was I'm a piece of shit and I'm, I'm a no good, nothing. Cause I believe that for 10 years and um, I, I don't anymore. And that's one of my greatest accomplishments. Wow. Wow, man. What a, what a journey there. I, I gotta say, dude, like I'm, I'm so fucking glad you're still here, Brand. You know, I fucking love you, bro. I really do. Um, you know, in this crazy fucking business, you know, there's there's people that you work with, there's acquaintances, then there's good friends. I feel very honored to consider you as a good, close, personal friend. You know, I, I can probably, that. I can count on one hand how many fucking people that are on that, that borderline of, you know, friend and family, you are on that. Matt Sinister was on that. Tommy Wilson's on that. You know, you guys are definitely there. And I'm so fucking glad that you're still here with us. I'm glad that you, you know, took the steps that you uh, acknowledged everything that was going on. You saw it, you were focused on it and you got yourself out of that. And you're continuing to keep yourself out of those trenches and uh, keep afloat, man. Like, I'm, I'm fucking proud of you, bro. I, I, I appreciate that so much, man. Um, I definitely couldn't have done this without like being in, in the business, um, having guys like yourself, uh, having guys like Liger, um, Jake, who hits me up every now and then I hit him up every now and then Gatson, who, uh, I like to talk to every now and then it just reminds me that there's like, we give a shit about each other. Um, we care. And this is the fraternity of pro wrestling, right? This is the, the, I always say like, it's a lifelong fraternity. We have our brothers. Um, you know, I, 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 it's just so heartbreaking to see sometimes when things grab a hold of us and then they change our entire mindset. And I'm very happy to be on this side of it now to where I can hopefully inspire people to want to better themselves that are going through something similar. Absolutely. Absolutely. We got to be there for each other yeah, in man. and out of the ring, you know, yeah. um, on the mic and off the mic. We, we just got to be there for each other. Um, in recent years, you know, I, I think you and I, like 
we were real tight when we were both working shows and whatnot, but I think like in the last two, two and a half years, you and I become a lot closer. And one of the things that brought us a lot closer was uh, video games. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah. You know, hopping on discord with you and the other guys, you know, caddy and all them, uh, you know, bringing the ring scoops crew over melt the melting pot right there, man. Um, you've become a streamer in recent years as well. What made you decide to go on that route? What are some of your favorite games? Do you have a, a platform that you prefer to stream on? Because I know you've done Facebook, you've done Twitch. And uh, and also, when is the next Among Us session? <laughs> so uh, I'll start backwards then. Uh, Among Us, I really want to try and get everyone to do duck to, uh, Goose Goose Duck, which is just like Among Us. And I'm trying to figure out when we can start setting this up. Um, my life, like I said, my life is super busy right now. Um, uh, I, I have a lot of time where I'm giving back and I'm part of uh, different boards now to help uh, do events and community stuff to make, uh, the people that are, that are traveling down the same road have, uh, things to do where they can connect to people. And, um, uh, so I definitely, am going to set a, a, a day aside, uh, here in the near future so we can do some among us, try and get a good posse of like 10 people to play, uh, or some goose goose duck. Um, but yeah, I, I've like, like I said earlier, Liger and I, uh, I used to travel with my Xbox. I used to work for a company that did merchandising when I was, uh, early, uh, 19, 20 years old, I would merchandise for Lowe's and I'd go travel around the country and, uh, stay in hotels. And I'd always have my Xbox with me and, um, I would get to wrestling shows and I'd always have my Xbox. We'd hook it up to the big TV, which was our little mini Titantron in Covina, uh, or we'd play um, uh, at NWA. We'd like we'd stay in like someone's hotel room playing video games, or if we were traveling, we we I'd take it. And it was kind of um, it was exactly what Up Up Down Down is with Xavier Woods, uh, except I was doing it before him, and I'm so jealous that he got he like made such an amazing platform. I'm jealous in a good way because like video games to me bring people together. Um, and it always has, right? I remember we would, we'd bring my Xbox to Covina and I'd have, we'd play UFC and I would have a little UFC title that like Omar Duncan won. And that's an old name right there. Omar Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy Yeager won it at one time. Uh, Chris Lee, the referee won it at a time. Um, like we, we would get down on a uh, UFC and like, it became a, like a thing, like you're the champ and now you have to defend it. And it was such a fun, like, little thing. And so video games have always been a part of my life. Um, growing up, I was huge on PlayStation and um, Grand Theft Auto. I loved it. And then I just, I played, uh, uh, not For Honor. Um, uh, it was before Call of Duty. It was one of those ones before Call of Duty. And then I discovered Call of Duty and I was like, oh, this is great, right? And uh, honestly, like, I I play video games pretty much every day or every other day and most of the time i'm playing still with liger and liger wrestles up in, at uh hood slam now up in oakland check him out um and um he he and i have been close friends since i was 19 years old he's been my older brother i call him that all the time and it doesn't matter the game like i'll play any game as long as we like have these moments where we can uh give back right and like we like share these shared experiences with each other. And um, so I, uh, 2020 happened and COVID um, shut all us, all of us down. And uh, 
I was just stuck in a room by myself uh, with my boyfriend at the time, and we weren't getting along. Um, but I knew that video games would get me through whatever, and it was it was borderline probably a problem. Um, video games can be addictive uh, to people, so just be careful. Uh, don't spend thousands of dollars hoping to get the best skins. I'll just go ahead and preface that and give everyone a warning now. Um, video games for me have always just been about community, and uh, I started doing uh, Twitch with Liger, and it's really hard, dude. It's really hard trying to get people over from Facebook to Twitch. Yeah. And a lot of people that were fans of mine in pro wrestling on Facebook and then Facebook launched Facebook gaming. And I said, well, if they're not going to come to me, I'm going to go to them. And so I, I found a, a problem and I made the solution to jump over to Facebook gaming and started streaming on that. And it was a lot of fun. People were showing up. I had, I had lots of people coming to hang out and like watch and, and play. And we would do among us streams with ring scoops and, um, uh, among us with Liger, and we would do Get Wreck Wednesdays, which we still do Get Wreck Wednesdays on Liger's stream. Uh, and um, I'll, I'll plug all those later. But um, the the amount of uh, video games that I've, I've taken in over the last two years is pretty steady. Uh, in the sense, like I like what I like what's being put out right now. I'm I'm huge on Call of Duty still. I love lo- you. I fell in love with Dead by Daylight. And like I've, I started streaming it and putting it up on my YouTube channel uh, just recently. I I, I want to start building as a content creator to where I can do that. Um, I do need to learn how to do some editing so I can clip some videos down from like 45 minutes to 30 to 20, um, so people can enjoy them. But um, yeah, man, uh, I'm back on Twitch because Facebook Gaming died a horrible death. Um, so I'm trying to get more people to jump over there with me, but it is hard to try and say, hey guys. You like me, come watch me play video games or come watch me do this. And it's always been kind of a tricky formula that I'm still trying to crack. Um, so uh, I always try and take suggestions wherever I can get them, if I can get them. Um, and I always try and learn from that. But um, yeah, I, I love Twitch. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of Dead by Daylight. Right now I'm playing High on Life. Um, I'm streaming that every weekend. Uh, it's a little weird. Uh, because the creator, Josh Royland, uh, just got in trouble for domestic violence. And I'm just like, I don't know if we canceled him just yet or if we're waiting for more details to come out, uh, why he was arrested for domestic violence. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, should I keep playing this knowing that this guy's probably a dirtbag? But then I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt before jumping and just having these like, black and white conclusions on people. Um, there's always a lot to do people's stories. So I, I tend to be like, okay, well, let's ride this out. This is a fun game. It's funny. Um, let's have some fun with it. And then uh, just take it from there. But yeah, that's what that's what I'm doing currently. And then uh, I'm planning on uh, getting back into some improv comedy. There's a place literally two streets over from me that I've been saying I need to go to. And uh, I'm going to pull the trigger on that in a couple months and start doing some improv again and get back on stage. Because, um, man, I'm a performer, dude. I, I need I need to I need to perform. I need to be in front of people. I need to be uh, doing something to help people. Uh, and that just makes me a better person. Uh, I am very grateful because now I do have my new Xbox. I just got a travel bag. And uh, there's a uh, there's a recovery program uh, uh, that's down here um, that I, I am on their board. Uh, and I get to take my Xbox to that treatment center and play video games with clients. 
and uh, try and have some fun with them. They get to escape their reality for a little bit, which is like, hey, like my life is pretty fucked up right now. And this guy's bringing in an Xbox and we can play some Mortal Kombat. We can play some Jackbox. And that's really cool. That makes me, that just keeps showing me that video games just keep bringing people together from different walks of life. No matter where they're at, we try and take them as they are and try and show them that we can have fun. This doesn't have to be boring. Life, this life thing doesn't have to be a boring thing. This can be fun and we can stay together as a community through video games, through events, through all this other stuff that I get to be a part of. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. And um, I want to thank you too. Uh, Last summer when I was doing the uh, stream for Starlight, Starlight Children's Foundation, you joined us for the uh, Among Us stream and we had a blast, man. And I believe on that weekend, we were able to raise about $850 for the Starlight Foundation. Fuck yes, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, thank you, man, for participating with that. Yeah, of course, man. Like I said, I love any way I can give back, I will. Uh, especially to that stuff. I do want to share this fun story. So Wade, <laughs> Wade was doing a stream of uh, Red Dead Redemption. Uh, oh, God. A year or two ago. Yeah. And, uh, Red Dead Redemption is a cowboy western Grand Theft Auto. Lots of fun. And <laughs> I were on Red Dead Redemption, and we're like, Wade's online. We should go fuck with him. And right in the middle of Wade's stream, we're just rolling. <laughs> We go in the game chat. We're like, wait, wait. And we go, we go find you. And you're like, what, what, what? And we hogtied Wade's character. We just drug him around the desert. <laughs> we put him on train tracks. We, we, we annihilated his character in the middle of his stream just to fuck with him. And it just took me back to like the brotherhood. Like we're ripping each other. We're like, he's trying to have like a fun stream tonight and we're coming in and we're just going to fuck with him. <laughs> That was great, man. That that made the stream a lot more enjoyable, though, because like I, I admit, I'm a pretty boring streamer. So when that came in, like that was a nice little high spot right there. Yeah, it was <laughs> a lot of fun, man. <laughs> Heck yeah, man! I remember too. I was playing with my buddy Mac one night, and we saw you pop on, and I invited you into the game. And as soon as you loaded in, you loaded up like right next to me. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize it was you, and I like headshot you, and you messaged me, and you're like, "Bro, I just loaded in," and I'm like, "Oh <laughs> fuck, that was you." <laughs> and damn, dude, why you yo man? It's a good times, man. I miss playing Red Dead. We need we need to play that again sometime. You need to bring uh, Rockstar. You guys need to really work on Red Dead. If you guys can hear me, uh, which I know you guys are listening, Rockstar li- love Ringsters. I've been told. Uh, uh, our words stick together. Yeah. That's- <laughs> 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 get the fuck out of here <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh my god that's so funny oh. yeah 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 it, it, my my buddy DA and I we have a term for what just happened there I lollard you yeah 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 you should get me to pop on on on, uh, on my tell ya yeah. Um, real quick before we head out, uh, I'd like to play a game of name association with you, if that's cool. Yeah, of course, man. All right. Um, you can answer any way you want. Just the first thing that pops in your head. If, if you want to do like one word answers or if you just want to, you know, kind of go off on the person, that's that's cool. Hell yeah. I'm going to we're going to we're going to get some heat right now. Even though I'm not in the business, we're having heat with people. Let's go. 
All right. Well, we need that heat here in SoCal right now. It's, it's cold as hell for us. Cold as hell, baby. Let's let's raise the temperature. That's right. Show me the money, baby. All right. Uh, first name on the list: Top Shelf Jeremy Yeager. Brother. Uh, how about the the Hollywood sisters? Sisters, sisters from other misters. Lalo Gonzalez. Brother. I miss Lalo, man. I miss hanging man, out. I him. miss Lalo. He's doing great things. Uh, if you ever catch a 66ers game, you'll hear the voice of the stadium. That's my boy, Lalo Gonzalez. Um, he's doing great things. Uh, I absolutely love him. There are so many other stories that we have. Um, getting to scare him at Halloween, Universal Horror Nights, uh, having all the clowns down, dance around him. Oh, my God. Singing his name. Lalo. That was one of the best nights I think I've ever had with him. Um, they they actually did that. They were singing his name. So okay, all right. I'll, I'll tell. I'll definitely tell the story. Uh, so um, uh, Lalo buys uh, Blink One Eighty Two tickets for myself and him to go see Blink. Uh, huge Blink fans. Love Blink One Eighty Two. Love My Chemical Romance. They opened for him, and um, so he buys the tickets for that. And I said, okay, cool. Uh, I'll buy whatever ticket we want to do next, whatever. And so we're we're talking about doing Universal Horror Nights. And I was like, you want to go? He's like, are there clowns? I go, yeah. He goes, no, I don't want to go. I go, here's the deal. I'm going to buy your ticket. You're going to come with us. You're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, we'll not. I will not make you go through the clowns. I promise. He goes, okay. He's like, I'm in. And so then we are, like, getting there. And... um we're trying to figure out how to traverse the, the mazes and what we're going to do. And then we realize that the clowns are at the entrance. They're the ones that you go through when you first walk in. And Lalo goes, I can't do this. I go, you're going to be fine. You're wearing your sweater. We're going to put your hood over your head. You're going to continue to walk uh, through them and we're going to be fine. And <laughs> so we get there, we walk through the clowns uh, and we go down to a, a hostile maze which Cadillac, uh, Chris Cadillac almost got into a fight because someone squirted him with water, and he didn't like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so then uh, they had the Thing maze that we all wanted to go check out because uh, they just rebooted that movie, and, uh, and they made the prequel reboot. And um, so we're like, let's go check out the Thing maze. But we knew that we had to walk through the clowns again. And so <laughs> they had this giant scaffolding just a square scaffolding, probably like 30 feet high. And at the top of it, they had a pyro going off. So every like 10 seconds, there'd be just a flamethrower going off the top of it. And that's it, right? And so we're walking back up. I go, put your hood over your head. You're going to walk with us. And we're all just shooting the shit. We're like, we're walking here. We're beelining it for the maze. We're going through the clouds. We're going to be fine. And as we continue to walk, I turn around and I go, who the fuck is Lalo? And we look back, and he's about 20 feet behind us, and uh, I go, uh, let me go check on him. So I go over, and I go, hey, bud, what's going on? And he's just frozen, cannot move. And he goes, there's a clown on, on stilts. It's in the fire. He looked at me. And I, <laughs> 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 so uh, this is a good time to tell you guys that I grew up. I love Halloween. I don't care for Christmas. It is what it is. Uh, you can fight me for it. That's fine. Um, I did not like trick-or-treating. I don't care about trick-or-treating. I cared about scaring people. Uh, again, performing. I'm a performer. 
So growing up, I did haunted houses. My dad and my cousin worked at Not Scary Farm for a couple of years. They learned how to scare people and they taught me how to scare people, um, which is why I also headbutt a kid in Riverside. I'll tell you that story later. Uh, but um, so I know how to scare people and I know what people at amusement parks do to scare people. So it's really hard for me to go through mazes and be afraid or get jump scared. I usually don't. I'm usually there because I think it's fun. I like to watch my friends get scared and uh, I know what they're going to do to fuck with you and where they'll be. And so I tell Lalo, I go, Hey bud, uh, what's going on? He's I can't feel my legs. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I it just I can't move. I go, okay, so here's what's going to happen, but we need to get you moving. Cause, <laughs> cause if you don't move right now, then there's, there's going to be a clown that sees you and he's going to come over and fuck with you. I don't want that to happen. He goes, really? I go, yeah. And so no sooner do I say this, there's a clown that walks by, <laughs> looks at Lalo, looks at me, and I just give him like the nod, like, yeah, yeah. And uh, he looks at me again, and I just keep giving him the nod, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he comes up, and he goes right into Lalo's ear, and he goes, starts growling. <sighs> and I just... I was like, I'm going to let, I tell Lalo, I go, I'm going to let him do his thing. I'm going to take a couple steps back and just let him have some fun. You're going to be fine. I promise. And uh, I'll be here. Okay. So I take a couple steps back. The clown proceeds to sit down on the ground and shuffle in front of Lalo, lay down, (laughs) put his legs in the air and start waving them. (laughs) And Lalo later told me that he thought that the clown cut off his legs and was dangling them in front of him. And (laughs) that's what he thought. Right. So the clown gets up, and I, I verbally yell, Lalo, Lalo, are you okay? And loud enough, and I know what I'm doing. I know damn well what I'm doing. And I tell Lalo, Lalo, are you okay? And the clown looks at me, smiles, looks back at him, and goes, Lalo. <laughs> the clown fucks him with a little, a little bit more, and the clown disappears. So then I go, it's our chance. I get him going. I walk back up to him and I go, Lalo, here's the deal, bud. He is leaving. He left. He goes, he's gone. I go, yes, he's gone. He's like, okay. I go, here's the thing. He's coming back. (laughs) And he's bringing all of his friends. (laughs) He's not just coming by himself. He's bringing the entire crew. (laughs) What? I go, that's what they do, bud. And I was like, this is what he's going to do. And they're all going to do So let's put your hood on and let's get you moving. He goes, I, I don't know where my feet are. I don't know where my legs are. And I go, they're underneath you. You you still have your legs. <laughs> and he, he's like, I can't move. <laughs> I look up and I see behind the sea of people, I see the entire circus of clowns. Clowns with chainsaws. Clowns on stilts. Clowns that have those sliding knee pads. And they all got toys. <laughs> and they all got things. And I go, hey, bud, I'm going to take a couple steps back and let them do their thing because they're back. <laughs> and you didn't want to move. And <laughs> two cl- now there's the original clown and his buddy are standing both on both sides of Lalo. And they're both singing. Lalo, Lalo. And a plethora plethora of clowns about... T- 12 to 15 deep are circling. And now there's a circle around Lalo. He's in the center. They're singing out Lalo at him. 
all of the clowns are singing Lalo. (laughs) (laughs) They are going off. And everyone is watching. And I know, as so many do, what happens when he gets scared is that he passes out. And they're just going. And I see his left knee just buckle. Oh, no. A little bit. He doesn't go down, but I just see it start to wave. And so I run in. I put his hood over his head. And I go, he's done, guys. He's done. And they all agree. And they start scaring everyone else because everyone thinks they're safe. And they start scaring them. And people are running. And I grab him. I go, it's okay. Let's get you moving. And he starts walking right away. (laughs) (laughs) And... He later told me that he was in hell and that an archangel, Rogelio, which is my first name, archangel Rogelio came down from the heavens and said, let's get you out of here, bro. And I saved his life. (laughs) Wow. Poor guy, man. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I'm surprised he hasn't had a heart attack. (laughs) Uh, He has put some distance between him and clowns since leaving pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, back to the name association. I'm sorry, that was a, a big tangent, but it was worth the worth the story. Oh, oh, it's definitely well worth the price of admission. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. Uh moving along the list here, name association, uh Cincinnati Red. Father. Uh he was I miss him every day. Um there are so many stories like the last night that EWF School of Hard Knocks was at the the school on E Street. The way that we closed that place down, we had drinks all night. Um, uh, we got fucked up like crazy. Um, spending it with my brothers, like Jaeger, Caddy, Red, um, Jesse, um, TJ Perkins, all, 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 all the boys that came that night. Um, it was it was a, a life bond. And uh, Red was taken from us way too soon. Um, I will forever be in debt to that man for making me a, a good wrestler. Uh, and having trusted me to put a title on a young kid that just wanted to live out his dream um, for his grandfather, who's no longer there, um, I will forever love Cincinnati Red, um, and I miss him every day. Uh, Chris Cadillac, Brandon, brother, 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 man, we rode, we 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 had some battles together, and I love that dude. Um, he, he's been there for me so many times. Um, I wish I wish I could be up there more. And, and spend time with his beautiful family um, and get to know the, the, his son, who I have pictures of doing an elbow drop on while he was just a tiny little infant. Uh, <laughs> I love that dude so much. Uh, Sugar Sweet. Sugar Sweets. Yeah, we don't talk about him, man. All righty. Yeah, he put him on the list with yeah. Bruno and Sebastian Nice. Yeah, man. We, we just, unfortunately, that guy just ended up being um, – a really, a really bad person. And I, I've watched people change their lives around. I hope he has, um, I wish him the best, but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a shame that he found himself in that kind of trouble because it's all, it's really hard to rebound out of that. And, um, I hope, I hope he's healthy. Um, and I hope that he's finding solace in whatever he's doing in life. Agreed. hundred percent. Uh, Mondo Vega. Brother, um, brother, man, I, him and Jaeger, uh, we have wonderful road stories. Um, going to Jeremy Jaeger's bachelor party in Vegas and seeing Mondo Vega 
fucked up calling Icarus Eagle um, to tell him where the fuck are you? Because we had ribbed him that Icarus Eagle was with us and that he was playing uh, Pokemon Go at the Stratosphere. Oh my god. And watching Mondo get upset because he wasn't there, that he was playing Pokemon Go, calling Icarus Eagle. And Icarus Eagle's like, I'm at home. Uh, was great. Um, sharing the ring with him was someone that was so driven to be such a good heel. Mondo Vega is one of the uh, nicest, most badass people I've ever met um, with the weakest fucking knees I've ever worked with. <laughs> That's Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he always <laughs> had problems with them knees, didn't he? <laughs> Uh, Liger Rivera. Brother, uh, like I said, we play video games every day. Um, I talk with him. He is one of my closest friends. Um, He he is my brother. Um, We just have different parents. But uh, I would drop anything to to help him, and he would do the same for me in a heartbeat. Um, This next name I toyed around with, should I put on the list? Should I not? Not many people would probably get it. It's just me and you would probably get it, but uh, fuck it. My nephew, John. Your nephew, John. Is that the ginger? Yeah. Yeah, they're both, the both nephews are gingers. I want you to know right now, John, just because I've gotten older and you've gotten older doesn't mean I don't know where you live. Okay. My microphone is right here on your mouth because I want you to know I'm still hunting you down. Evil, evil ginger. I'm going to get you. Never forget that. Next name. You know, he turns 21 this August, and I, I promised I'm going to take you, him. You, you better start drinking out of the fear of knowing that I'm somewhere hunting your ass down looking for you. I, I promised for his 21st birthday I'd take him to Vegas. I think the three of us should go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. I, I would love to, man. Uh, I, I, I bet I, he, there, there are several people fan base wise that I, I think I'll always have a lifelong connection to him being one of them just for the joke. Um, I know that there was that young gentleman that had down syndrome who would always come to the shows that when I turned into a good guy, came up and hugged me and cried. There are moments of unspeakable joy that I got to experience in pro wrestling that took away all the anxiety and stress of trying to be a pro wrestler it's moments like that getting to pick on somebody or getting the love and admiration um from a kid that's just like you're my favorite uh i come here to see you or you turn into a good guy i i hated you as a bad guy and now i love you as a good guy it made the entire journey worth it every second of it and i, I would never change that for the world Right on, man. Right on. Uh, two more names. Uh, DK Murphy. Piece of shit. <laughs> uh, he's just a garbage human being. Uh, wow. I hope he continuously stubs his pinky toe, um, steps on a Lego twice a week, and um, is constantly um, smelling the smell of someone else's part that he doesn't like. Okay. <laughs> if you had one word to describe him, what would it be? And you can't use the word snake. Uh, no, I would just use garbage. Just pure fucking garbage. All righty. There you go. And the last name on the list, uh, Jesse Hernandez. So I'm going to actually add another name to that list, which would be uh, Jake and Jesse. Um, honor. Um, I was completely honored 
to be a part of the Fed that I was associated with the most. I'm really glad I got to go on the road. Um, I didn't get to make as many bridges as I wanted to because I was burning them along the way um, with the actions of my life. But um, Jesse and Jake um, believed in me, um, loved me. Um, I believe that is true, at least. And um, they, they cared that I wanted to do good uh, and wanted to be a great performer. And they had faith that I could deliver when the time came to it. And so Jesse is like a father figure to me. Um, I hope he does listen to this because it just means the world, everything he's done for so many people. Um, I know that it doesn't always go the way we want or the way that they want. And uh, I just don't think that enough people like to give credit because um, we're you're in the thick of trying to make a name for yourself. You don't like to look back. But now I'm at a place in my life where I can look back and look at my career and say thank you to both of them for entrusting that I had something to give people and that what I was delivering was good enough to be on the show every, every Covina or every few Covinas or whenever I could make it work. And um, I'll forever remember my career as a pro wrestler because of Jesse Jake. So, yeah. Right on, man. Right on. Uh, before we head out, uh, do you have any plugs, any shout outs or any advice out there for anybody listening? Yeah. So plugs, you can find me at twitch.tv slash RJ seven. Also at YouTube uh, at RJ seven. Um, you can find me on Instagram, RJ seven, uh, seven is spelled out, right? It's not the number. Seven. Yeah. Spell the seven out. All right. So uh, yeah, definitely spell out the seven. Um, everyone always just says, Oh, you, you, you got, you just use RJ. You're the seventh one. No, it's because I had a stupid fucking name that I wanted to be called seven. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's working for me, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, RJ seven, spell out the seven, uh, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me. My shoot name is RJ Santos. Uh, I'd say follow me on Instagram more so, but, um, yeah, you can find me there. You can find my, me playing get wrecked Wednesday with Liger at twitch.tv slash R, uh, Liger, uh, HC Liger. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, uh, any advice that I'd have for future generations uh, that I hope that people take with them is have fun. Have as much fucking fun as you can because we're not promised, like, the glory of being a pro wrestler. We're not promised um, the headlining main event of every show. We're not promised anything. Uh, we get opportunities to succeed or fail, and... Uh, I hope you live up to them and I hope you have the best fucking time when you get done with it. You can look back and think to yourself, that was a great fucking ride. Um, I, I have that story. I have the story where it wasn't the greatest ride, but now, now my life is fucking amazing because of it. Um, I've taken so many lessons that I've learned uh, from pro wrestling and I've tra transferred them into my real life and they work just as well. Um, you give what you get or you get what you give. And um, if, you, if you can help the next generation become better, do that. And like I said, have as much fucking fun along the way. Um, understand that people aren't always going to be on the same level as you every night. So be patient. Um, and uh, fucking tear it down, man. Fucking try and steal the show as much as possible. So that's what I got, man. RJ, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on the podcast. Um, you know, an inspirational story, you know, the, everything that you've overcome, 
the experiences that you've had in your life and your career are just phenomenal, man. The, the outlook that you have today going forward, I commend you on your strength, your journey and your courage. And, um, I, I love it, brother. I really do, man. I love you too, brother. Thank you so much for having me here on the retired wrestlers podcast. <laughs> Again, <laughs> retired. That's an R word. <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen uh thank you all for tuning in rj again thank you so much and uh until next time ladies and gentlemen it's the webmaster saying be cool